welcome to the Geeking Poetic Podcast channel. On this channel, we have shows and segments that contain adult humor. Bad language, dirty jokes. And other stuff that is strictly for mature audiences only. So if you're too young or too sensitive for this kind of material, then please do not watch our channel or our videos. This channel is not for you. Thanks much. And now, on with the show! <laughs> check check all right what's going on hi guys what's up everybody how are you welcome to geeking poetic podcast channel uh can can it are we are we audible out there can everybody hear us yes yes hi we're here <laughs> Are we in the chat? Yeah, Meg, you got to pull up Hold that on, chat. I pull it so up. It was can... up there a second ago, but well, you got a lot going on on that gotta, screen. You're going to have to pay right, attention right, on there. All right, all right. All right, all right, all right. All right. What's going on, everybody? It is, yeah, it's the joys of live broadcasts, right? <laughs> We're all just going to. Hold on, I got to figure this out. We're going to play on our phones. We're just going to all play on our phones the whole time. Yeah, what's going on? As you can see, I will introduce us uh, for those. Well, there's going to be an audio version of this later anyway, but. For those that don't know, I'm one of your hosts, Larry Roberts. This little, uh, this little phone-wielding monkey in the middle <laughs> is none other than Megan Guest. <laughs> and then look who's back! Hi, I'm Matt Volucas. <laughs> Guess who's back? Back, back again. again, Mr. V, in the house. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta work on our writing. <laughs> <laughs> I never said I had mad flow. All right, so. I mean, that's just the way it is. But anyway, we are here. Hopefully you all can hear us fine. I, I really hope so. It looks like I'm peeking out a little bit there, but no, whatever. Um, and peeking out, I mean, I mean. Yeah, I was thinking like you're on the side <laughs> uh, <laughs> Like, is something peeking out? Oh, that's a problem. Um, yeah, we are here with another one of our top fives. Last time Matt was in the house, we did a top five about... Uh, uh, what was what, what did we talk about? Ensemble comedies. Ensemble uh, yeah. comedies. Ensemble. It was those ensemble com the, the comedies. Ensemble. <laughs> ensemble. Which is French for ensemble. <laughs> <laughs> we did that. That was back in December. It was. Yeah. Wow. It, really? Yeah. That was like almost two months ago. A long, long time ago. I can't remember what the fuck we talked about. It's okay. I can't but figure I out how to get two and a half comments. hours of awesomeness. It was it. It was. I thought so, but I was on screen, so I was very happy. <laughs> you were just happy to be here. It totally was. So, what we are doing here tonight? If you're, if you saw the title of this and everything, you're like, what? The, what are they talking about? McMuffins. McMuffins. The movie McMuffins. I love McMuffins. I want an egg McMuffin. Oh man, I love egg McMuffins yeah. too. I'm a big fan, but that is not what we we're talking about. <laughs> what we were talking about is. Movie MacGuffins, not MacGyver either. No. Oh, I love MacGyver too. MacGyver is pretty awesome. Yeah, you do love your MacGyver. I do. Oh yeah, Richard Man. Dean Anderson. Oh, he is the shit. Okay, Selma, just settle down there. Um, but yeah, Matt. I mean, this was we we have Matt back again, and I, we're, I'm sure we're gonna have him back plenty more in in the future. But this was your idea. It was. It was, and I was fabulous I was, idea. I was very excited that you guys kind of jumped onto this pretty quickly. Um, so I was watching um, Red Notice on Netflix uh, just most recently, and the the topic of a MacGuffin came up actually in the movie. They self referenced it, and I'm like, I've heard that term before. 
and I just didn't remember it. So I had to look it up. And a, a MacGuffin is an object in a movie that moves the plot along. It doesn't right. have to be a significant object, but it's something that basically it happens and then the plot goes in a certain direction because of that. Because of the object. So yeah. it can't just be any old object. No. Right. It can't be like, hey, I love lamp. Cool. Let's go. <laughs> no, it's it's something. The way I the way I view it is um, I, I equate it to like watching uh, Endgame. Uh, the, okay. the Marvel movie where like the timelines shift, something happens and whatever that something is, that object causes the movie, the plot to go in a specific direction. And like I said, it could be something incredibly meaningful. I could be um, like in Titanic, you know, the, the necklace, everything happens because of that necklace. Right. They go in search of it. She tells her stories. The entire movie happens, but it's right. very centrical to the plot of the movie. But a MacGuffin could also be like, if I walked into the room and said, Megan, here is a gumball. You need this gumball. There's dudes that are going to come in 30 seconds, and they're going to mess you up if you have this gumball, so I don't want it. And I leave. And suddenly you're thrown in the middle of this mix. That MacGuffin takes you on this path to go wherever it is you're going Even go. if the gumball don't mean shit. Yeah, it was just something just you handed. Gumball, yeah. It could I, have yes. been anything. You handed yeah. me. Yes, it could have been. Okay. It could be a Q-tip. It could be anything. But there's a path that you're suddenly on because you're not holding that object that I gave to you. Got That's it. how I view a MacGuffin. Okay. Okay. Right. Do you guys, how do you? Yeah, I think that's it's pretty much it. Pretty similar, yeah. It's something that that made the plot go forward, that necessarily didn't further the plot. Correct. Now, here's something I want to bring up. I'm going to kind of lead into it for you, Meg, because I know we talked about yours, and yours are kind of interesting because you took a little bit of a different angle. What are you doing? Well, well somebody, somebody it's had like, mentioned on it's like his leaf. Deep. It's our MacGuffin. Nice MacGuffin. Yes, <laughs> it is the MacGuffin. Yes. Damn. So, uh, yeah, especially like if he like, if Meg just grabs that bottle and whacks me over the head with it, which might Might happen. happen. Uh-huh. And that Here, takes us on a completely different path. Just put it down. Wow. She's in a very, very feisty mood we're, tonight. We're angry already. Yeah, I've already been whacked a few times by her and stuff. Punched he had and, it coming. <laughs> anyway, you were saying? I was saying that you took a little bit of a different angle because I know you looked up stuff and you found out that it, that in some circles, a MacGuffin doesn't just have to be like an inanimate it, object. It could be a, a person. It could actually be a character as well, as long as the character is not like a... Vital. <laughs> Yeah, as long as it's, you know, or it's like a character that gets brought up a lot, but you never even really see them in the movie. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Something like that. Now, how do you feel about that, Matt? I, uh, I'm, I'm fucking curious disagree. To, well, I, I, I kind of do. I think, I, I don't know. I'm curious to see how the conversation goes. Okay. Because, and, and again, I'm just going by everything that I've read about a MacGuffin. It's usually an object. It's something inanimate that happens. But I'm I'm open to... A discussion what about we do. It. What okay. we do, yes. Yeah, because okay. I have one. I was like, mm, do I do use it? Do I not use it? We'll see. But it's funny. At the same time, I have a couple of choices on here that, in my mind, there are multiple MacGuffins throughout the movie that, oh, yes. that take it forward. I have that as well. One of, one of mine has multiple MacGuffins. So they just call me multiple MacGuffins. <laughs> that, that's, that was my uh, Dirty Dozen name when, when it was a baker's dozen. Was it? There was 13 of them. I was... I was uh, yeah, I was that guy. I, I didn't do anything crucial for them to break out. I just made the food. <laughs> they called me Larry Multiple McGuffins Roberts. Wow. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just riffing. <laughs> and as far, yeah, I mean, so I think, Meg, yours is going to be a little bit different. I think Matt's and my lists are going to be a little bit more 
uh, in similar in terms of how we laid things out. Because, yeah, I, I, I yeah, I'm not sure about all this. Even my po- even some of my picks, I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if this is if this quality, if these all perfect. Some of them I very much feel like, yes, that fits the bill perfectly. And then there's other ones that I'm like, mm, I don't know. Hmm. I'm not sure. So I think we should just dive in and see what they are then. Yeah. Kaiser Soze. Yeah, exactly. See, I the, people are bringing up like Kaiser Soze, you know, like from uh, was Usual Suspects, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. A lot of people consider that to be a MacGuffin. Thank you. You know, I see Joe. Hey, Joe, how you doing? <laughs> uh, the briefcase. Yeah, uh, briefcase is, yeah, that's, that's a big, big MacGuffin. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree with that yeah. 100%. Turn your mic a little bit. Is that better? Yeah. Is that? Yeah. It, it likes to rotate on me. I know. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> It's all twisty. It is. But yeah, let's just dive into it. We're going to start with our number fives. And uh, we're just going to, I uh, let's just talk about each one of them as we as we go along rather than do the list and everything because okay. otherwise it's going to be like two and a half hours long. Yeah, we're trying to keep this one shorter, guys. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to try. I promise nothing, <laughs> but we're going to try. But we're going to try. I got these two, so it could go the on for hours. The with good intentions, my friends. <laughs> so Matthew, you are the guest, uh, so to speak. I mean, you're basically, you're, you're part of the tribe now. More, Yay! But, but, uh, you heard it here first. We've you in. But you are on the end, so we will work this way. Okay. So why don't we go with yours All first? Right. Mine, this uh, there, there's a couple in here that I feel like are just gimmies. Yeah. Um, and and my first one is uh, Citizen Kane, Rosebud. The sled in that is is a MacGuffin for the entire movie. Um, and if you have never seen Citizen Kane, which I I highly recommend that you do, it's great. Uh, yes. Came out in 1941. It was an Orson Welles movie. He wrote, directed, produced. I mean, he had his hand in just about every aspect of this. Um, but the story is of William Randolph Hearst, uh, who was based on. Um, uh, I'm sorry, it was Charles Foster Kane that was based on that was based on yeah. William Randolph Hearst. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, he he's dying uh, last breath and he mutters the word rosebud and this entire movie is trying to unravel the mystery of what rosebud is and it basically goes back and tells the story of um of charles foster kane's life how he was this poor kid who uh had some just normal regular everyday toys to play with one of them you find out was a sled and uh, it turns out that the land that his family owns, uh, they end up, I forget if it's oil or if it's gold. I think it's gold that they find, um, but it's one of the two. But they become insanely rich from it. So uh, Charles Foster Kane becomes this publisher. He becomes like this mogul and uh, ups and downs throughout life. But basically at the end of the movie, you find out that he is a little bit unfulfilled by things. And you find out that uh, as... As he has passed away, after he's buried, um, they are inventorying his house, and there's this sled that just seems like this piece of junk. So they go ahead and they throw it on the fire to be burned, and as they throw it on the fire, you see that the brand name of the sled is Rosebud, and the idea behind it is that the only time that he was really happy was before he had money, before he had all these things, when life was just more simplistic when he was younger. Um, And one of the reasons that I I personally, I love this movie, and like I said, this is almost like a gimme when it comes to MacGuffins, but um, I have a degree in radio television production, 
Right. And we had spent uh, one of our courses just dissecting the heck out of this movie from a filmmaking standpoint. And at the time when it was first done, uh, Orson Welles came from a theater background. So he applied right. everything in theater to film. So he made so many mistakes based on coming from that theater background. You did it a certain way in film instead. But the things that he brought in from theater, he loved the idea of low angles. So he would actually dig out the floor wherever he was filming and have the camera. I mean, they were huge in the 1940s right like it was dug into the ground so he could get these great upward shots yeah um, i mean that that was such a signature of it, yeah yeah that, nobody um, did that before. he did a thing that was called uh the uh the sharp focus uh, right. sorry deep focus um and what deep focus was at the time in filmmaking um you had one character that was very in focus and everything else was soft focused all the way around so you knew who you were looking at and he said the audience is smarter than that you don't need to focus on just what's going on you can give this an entire world of what's happening so he was one of the first to kind of pioneer um foreground middle ground and background all being in focus at the same time right and allowing the audience to look at that kind of stuff so it, to me it's not only the macguffin of the storytelling which i think is fantastic but for me, it's the way that that film was made in 1941. It was miles ahead of the films that were being done at the time. And there are several people, Hitchcock included, oh, yeah. who still use a lot of those tips and tricks today that Orson Welles kind of brought to life. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that that's... It's a good pick because any one of us could have picked that because that is the, the, yeah, the granddaddy yes. of all MacGuffins. <laughs> I mean, that that is it. I mean, it's it's... If you have to explain, there's a couple, there's a couple ones like somebody brought up like the briefcase, you know, mm -hmm. from, uh, from Pulp Fiction, mm -hmm. everything like there's certain things that I think are like the most standout and, the, and Rosebud is obviously the number one because I mean, it's just a sled. It doesn't, you know, <laughs> spoiler alert. Yeah. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's just a sled. I mean, they're, they're re it really wasn't important, but. No, not at all. But for him, that MacGuffin for him was the time that he was happy. And yes. that's, you know, I. I just love the idea behind that, that the entire movie, like people are trying to pick it out. Is this, is it a long lost secret? Is it treasure that's hidden somewhere? Is it something else? And and it was the, the MacGuffin that to anybody else, Charles Foster King, that, that sled meant nothing, but to him, it meant the world. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And it, and it didn't get any like real deep explanation either. I mean, like, yeah, it, it was just, and yeah, and I love the way it just ends with them with the fire and the real, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, and it's a, at class. the end, like nobody knows his secret. It literally died with him. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Total class. Yeah. So I think that's a great choice. What do you think? Uh, yes. Yeah, so this number one choice. Yeah. I was very happy when I saw your list. I was like, oh, Yay. good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I could have put that in. Yeah. I was glad you did that. Um, you ended up picking well, I think we all did. Each one of us have a few in our list or a couple in our list that are sort of like the universally regarded MacGuffins, like everybody, like I just said, like that. But then, you know, I think we all wanted to mix it up a little bit too, yeah. and throw in some other things that it's like, oh, people might not think about that. Yeah, I, I, I think that's great. All right. So, Meg, uh, let's move on to you. All right. Well, I try to choose things that I haven't already spoken a ton about. Uh-huh. Um, so, I went with 2016 Central Intelligence. This has Kevin Hart and Dwayne Johnson in it. It's, I don't know, it's kind of a cute little buddy movie. <laughs> yeah. um, Kevin Hart plays uh, the Golden Jet, Calvin the Golden Jet, and he's like the top man on campus in high school, right? Okay. And Dwayne... Johnson, I almost called him Jackson, is his his name. Wrong dude entirely. <laughs> yeah. Um, his name in this movie is Robbie Weirdick. 
Yes. Wait, what's his name? Weird Dick. Robbie Weird Dick. Robbie Weird Dick. That's, mm. Yeah, that's, that's his name. That's a bummer. Poor, poor kid. <laughs> and he's like this this chunky, overweight, shy kid. He's in the shower and these kids pick on him and take him out and throw him in the gym during this big assembly completely naked. <laughs> and Calvin takes pity on him and puts his letterman jacket over him. Okay. This is cover up, you know, don't mind them. Just they're being idiots and go runs off. Like this is the last day of school, their senior year. And so it's like 20 years later, they're about to go to their 20 year reunion. And Calvin gets this uh, friend request on Facebook from um, Bob Stone. Okay. He's like, who the fuck is Bob Stone? And he, I should say, Calvin married his high school sweetheart. Okay. And they're having like all these troubles, getting stuck in a rut. And Calvin's like, I'm a loser. I peaked in high school. This sucks. I don't know what I am. I don't want to go to this stupid reunion. Um, and he ends up going to meet with Bob Stone, who he finds out is Robbie Weird Dick. And now Bob Stone is his big rock. He's the rock. He's <laughs> <laughs> the rock. He's like, oh my God, look at you. You look amazing. And uh, basically it turns out he's kind of idolized Calvin all these years because of what he did for him. He stuck sure. up for him. And he's like in the CIA and he's undercover spy and all this stuff. And they get sucked into this whole thing. Is is Robbie Weird Dick a good guy? Is he a bad guy? Do we really know? Did he really kill this person? Did he not kill this person? Who's the bad guy here? And like Calvin's stuck between a rock and a hard place trying to choose. A rock like, and a hard place? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go on. He made me lose my train of thought. Um, Seriously. <laughs> so is he a good Seriously. guy? Is he a bad so guy? So is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? And like the whole time he keeps remembering, remember high school? Remember high school? You know, and standing up to bullies against them. And because they get in a bar and Calvin's like, you know what? The guys are being assholes. So just leave. He's like, no, I don't do bullies. And he kicks the crap out of them. <laughs> yeah. And the whole time, it, it, the jacket kind of gets left behind. It gets mentioned at one point. It's like, oh, yeah, my Letterman's jacket. I forgot about that. I wonder what ever happened to that. And Robbie's like, oh, somewhere. <laughs> Well, turns out Robbie still fucking has it. He sleeps with it naked, <laughs> which is weird, but sweet at the same time. Does he really? I've yeah, never he really seen does. This movie, it, so was, that's amazing. it was, it it's was awesome really movie. cute. I really enjoyed this one. I just watched it the other day. I was like, oh, this is perfect for MacGuffins. Well, and it is because I, I, I love this movie and I love Kevin Hart and The Rock together. They've got a great chemistry. Yes. They've been in a couple different movies together. Um, and and I hadn't really thought about the jacket in that kind of regard, but I mean, for for Robbie, it, it takes his life in another in another direction, direction because of that. Because somebody actually was kind enough to him in one of his most embarrassing moments in life. Good choice. I totally agree with this one. Yeah, I got one. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, I agree. Here, hang on. Sorry, folks. Life. Are you twisting? Wait, wait, wait. Turn it that way. Now talk. Like this. That's better. Is it better? Okay. Yeah. Because right. you turn your head a lot. I do. I do. So then if you have it like that. Yeah. And now we're all good. And can I have my water? Your water? Yes. You could do my water. Baby I, water. Need my, I got a little baby water. <laughs> <laughs> I like these little short stubby waters. Like gherkin waters. Yeah. They're short and kind of stubby and stout like me. <sighs> all right. So that's, that's it. Yeah. That's fun. Now I want to see this movie. Yeah. Ooh, it's it's awesome. really cute. All right, pardon my reach. <laughs> it it sounds well, I mean I love the rock I love Kevin Hart but I li- I like that I like the way that ties in and and I I do know it kind of ties in more at the end too doesn't it in a way 
Or is it just that, that he finds out that he's had it this whole yeah, time? Yeah, he, he gives it back to him at the end. He's like, yeah. I see. That's he's like, I oh thought. my gosh, you kept all this time? He's like, yeah, I slept in it almost every night for the past 20 years <laughs> naked. But here you go. I cleaned it good. Just promise you. Oh, God. He's like, oh, thanks. That's pretty good. <laughs> and that was basically it. That's all. But it set the whole movie off. Well, one of the other things, too, I liked about the movie is that, you know, Robbie still calls him the golden jet. Like, he's yeah. still living that, you know, who Calvin was in high school. 20 years later, that's who he is. And I love the idea that, you know, people change, but you've got this idea of somebody in your head that even if they've evolved, right. you've built them up and put them on this pedestal for it. And it's not necessarily how it is, but you see the two of them kind of 20 years later work to make each other better people or realize that who they are it's okay that the -hmm. path that they thought they were on isn't necessarily where they ended up but that's okay right you're okay where you ended up i think it's a really cool message in the end yeah it is it's just funny too yes (laughs) awesome it's a win-win nice well, we mentioned earlier about how we have some where we have multiple MacGuffins in in one movie. And my number five pick is one of those. And it's a movie that I've talked about on the podcast briefly in the past, um, but not in any great detail. But it's, it's one of my all-time favorite movies. And it is a John Borman movie from 1980. It is called... Excalibur. Mm. Have you guys ever seen that movie? It's been a long, long time. I don't think I ever have. Oh, God. It's sword so... movie, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's about Excalibur. It's... Wizards and stuff. Yeah. It's about Merlin and all that kind of stuff. It's sort of an adaptation of the old, uh, the old uh, Le Morte de Arthur story and everything. But it's most people that I've seen when they talk about this movie and they talk about it in terms of a MacGuffin, because it gets brought up a lot in these articles and these discussions, they always bring up Excalibur. It seems like the obvious thing. You know, mm-hmm. there's this sort. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I do I do see that. I kind of feel like in a way it's almost too obvious for me that, it, you know, Excalibur. Well, it, well the fucking movie's called Excalibur, man. You know, it's like, <laughs> of course, you know. We all know the story of Excalibur, but one interesting thing that they incorporate into this movie, and it doesn't... So the first half of the movie is basically, I would guess you would say that the the driving object of the movie is Excalibur. But the real MacGuffin that comes in somewhere about halfway through the movie is the Grail. Now, they never call it the Holy Grail. They just call it the Grail. Mm. You're, I mean, you're supposed to basically believe it's it's that. And... It's really interesting because all of a sudden, out of nowhere, but you know, the la- everything's going bad. Morgana has taken over, and 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 Arthur's in poor health, and Lancelot is run off because he's tormented by he's in love with Queen Guinevere, and he's supposed to be their best friend, and all this other shit. All this crazy shit is happening, and all of a sudden, Arthur tells his knights, tells the round that you got to go seek out the Grail. And, uh, you know, to, to restore what was once lost kind of thing. And what's funny about it is literally, I mean, they even kind of say in the movie, not, not, not this crassly, but the, the knights are all sort of like, the fuck is the grail? <laughs> like, what are you talking about, bro? Like, what, what do you mean the grail? Where'd this come from all of a sudden? All we've heard about for the last hour and a half is the fucking Excalibur sword. Everything's great now. Now everything's going to shit. And you're telling us we got to find a grail. And Arthur doesn't even really explain to them. And they're even asking him, you know, their Percival's like, well, where do we find this grail? Like, can you at least tell us? And he's just like, follow signs, look for, you know, different, you know, signs and importance and things like that. And you'll figure it out. <laughs> and they're just like, oh, okay. So then the whole second half of the movie is basically about like, 
Arthur's just just withering away, right? He's not even that old, but it's just, and you don't even really totally find out what the fuck that was all about, but he's withering away. Morgana, his evil half-sister, is like taking over. The land is turning to shit. Like, the people are giving up on him because it, you find out that what it is is the grail ends up representing, even though in the movie, Percival literally, spoiler alert, Percival literally <laughs> finds the grail by going inside, he almost dies. He's like on his death, like he's literally dying. And it's like he goes into himself into some other realm and he finds the grail and he brings it back to Arthur and Arthur drinks from it. And he realizes that really what the what the grail symbolizes is that Arthur forgot what his purpose was in life, that he and the sword and the land are one. And one can't really like exist without the others. So if like... If Arthur's giving up hope, then everything goes to shit. You know what I mean? Like it's it's all like a symbiotic thing. I, I know it, it sounds it's like even just trying to explain this to you, like the super Reader's Digest version yeah. of it <laughs> is really confusing. But so they get the grail finally. And then it's like, ah, you know, everything's great again and stuff. And then Arthur and his knights rise one last time to get back at. At, at Mordred and Morgana and all this stuff and, and the land starts to prosper again, blah, blah, blah. And then it kind of ends with the after Arthur and everybody's dead, Percival is instructed to take the sword and throw it back into the lake where the lady of the lake, who's the broad that fucking first gave him the fucking sword in the beginning, takes the sword back and disappears. That's the end of the story. <laughs> yeah, it's medieval, man. You know, it's one of those things. But the thing is, is with the grail, it's like I saw that. I saw that look. <laughs> the thing with the grail is it's I thought it was like a really good example. And I don't see people bring it up that much with it. It reminds me of another movie that has to do with a similar item. It's one of those things where the grail ends up being so important in a, in a sense, because like I said, it becomes the narrative for the second half. I mean, this is like a three hour long movie and the last second hour and a half of it is all about this grail thing, but you never really even know like what it does. I mean, we know what the grail is cause we've heard about it. You know, most of us have heard about it in some way, shape or the Holy grail and all that stuff, but they really don't explain it. And like I said, it just kind of comes out of nowhere, becomes this item that they bring up out of nowhere like, oh, you got to get this now. And it, the whole movie is driven by this now at this point. And you don't get an explain like where to come from. Why does it work this way? How did you even know about it in the fucking first place that you knew you needed the grail? Like they're, they're nothing. See, to me, that, that whole suspension of disbelief, that would bug the shit out of me. It's like, why, why, why suddenly is that important? Why? I, I yeah. need more exposition. I, I, mean, I could see that. Suspension of disbelief isn't the proper that. term. Maybe exposition. I need... I want more. I could see that. If you watch the whole movie, I mean, like I said, it, it it's the dialogue and the way the story's told. You go, okay, yeah, this is a story that was like conceived in, you know, 700 years ago. Like it, it feels that way. You know what I mean? It's, it's I can't wait to watch it then. No, it's, it's <laughs> give it, it a chance. It feels like it was conceived 700 years ago. You're going to love it. No, it's, it's actually really good. It's got, it's got some incredible scenes the the music is fucking amazing it's a lot of wagner and stuff like that and the way they use it it's, colin colin seems to like it 
Mr. Does Smoking he? Sigs 357. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Colin said it's amazing. It is. It's it's a really, really good movie. The way I'm explaining it, because I'm trying to make it so brief, it's like what what what? It, <laughs> There's a if, lot going on. If you watch it and everything, you'll 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 understand. You know whether you like it or not. I don't know, but uh, it, it is an incredible movie. So, and I thought it was one of the first things that came to my mind when you brought up this. Is I was just like, oh, the great. Like that's how I feel about that item. Is just like. All of a sudden, it was like this "what the fuck" item that gets brought up, but it totally drives the movie. Yeah. And then it it's totally goes, like from the sound of it, it is me handing you that Q-tip and be like, "Here, go." Yes, like it's that in, in a matter of speaking. It. And there's all this power in that Q-tip existing and stuff. But what is why? why? You know, <laughs> what is yeah, Q-tip? exactly. Colin, Colin says Kamina Barana. What is that? Is that? Oh, the the uh, that's um, the theme music that they use in Excalibur. Okay, that's uh, <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Ozzy uses it for his intro. Okay, you'll know it if you hear it. But anyway, you know, of course, Colin's going to be all all over the music part of yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so moving on to number four, we're going to go with you, Matthew. What is your? Uh, my number four does stick with the Grail theme. Um, I picked the Last Crusade, uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Um, and, and to me, uh, every single Indiana Jones movie it relies heavily on a MacGuffin of some kind. It's you know, it's the right. idol, it's the Ark of the Covenant, it's uh, um, it's the heart of what's his name, Kalima. Um, you know, Kalima. It's the, um, <laughs> you know, it's the Crystal Skull, which oh, oh boy, that. it's the refrigerator. It's, yeah, it's the yeah, is but um, to me, so the Last Crusade. This is the one to me that has two MacGuffins in it. One, the obvious one, is the Holy Grail, yeah. um, the Last Crusade, and looking for that Holy Grail. But to me, that's not the important MacGuffin in it. To me, it's the diary that he gets from his dad. Okay. So basic plot of the movie, you know, Indiana Jones, he finds out that the uh, that the Holy Grail does exist, that he wants to go. Uh, that the I forget who was searching for it. Somebody at the university that he teaches at says that we had somebody that was out exploring looking for the grail that person is now lost we're hoping that you can find that person as well as the grail indiana says no thanks i'm done i have no interest in it whatsoever you got the wrong jones boy or something yeah right yeah got the wrong jones boy so it turns out indiana jones goes home after finding out about all this stuff to find his place is trashed and um uh couple of days earlier he had gotten a package so he goes to unwrap this package and he finds out it's his dad's diary uh that has all the chronicles about the holy grail uh indiana jones's father early on in the movie you find out is just obsessed with the holy grail they have issues as father and son um they don't get along very well at all but now that indiana jones's father is in trouble that he now has the grail from his father right. it sends him on the mission to go ahead and find his father as well as the grail itself um, but like I said, this is that multiple grail. And to me, yeah. it's it, as much as I love any, you know, well, almost any Indiana Jones movie, um, fuck the crystal skull. But um, <laughs> I love the idea that this one was a father son story as well. You know, it's one of Sean Connery's last acting gigs before he retired. Right. Um, you know, he was just the perfect person to, pay, to play Harrison Ford's dad in this movie. Um, but I, again, I love the idea that Indiana Jones, he was like, I, this is this one's beyond me. I have no interest in the grail whatsoever. Holy crap, my dad's out there. I got to go save him. I got to figure it out. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel like I agree with you, man. I the more I think about it, I feel like that diary is just as much if not more so the main MacGuffin in this movie because The Grail. Absolutely. I think so too because he needs the the diary to save his dad a second time. Mm-hmm. Right. After he's shot. Yes. Right. The diary ends up being more important than the Grail. Mhm. In a way, but it's still just, I mean, it's still just a diary. It's still just that thing that drives it along 
you know, the the grail may be the goal, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but the diary is the MacGuffin. Yes. That's what I think. So that's a cool choice. Thank yes, you. I was very happy. Thank you. Yay. And I think, but no, I'll give you some extra props on that too, because I've seen this movie brought up a lot in the discussions about MacGuffins, but everybody always mentions the grail mm-hmm. and people don't mention the diary. But I think just like what I was saying about Excalibur, you know, it's not the sword, it's the it's the grail, and that, that I think is the true MacGuffin. And this one, I think, you know, good uh, good super sleuthing there. I think <laughs> if the story was told from Indiana Jones's father's point of view, for yeah. him, it's the grail it's that the sets grail. him on that path. But to me, for Indiana, it's getting that diary from his dad that then sends him off on that. Right. In the movie, it's Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not it's not you know Dad Jones. You know, <laughs> we, we named the dog Indiana. Yeah, we named the dog Indiana. <laughs> it's not about good old Rusty Jones either. No. Hey, so sidebar, sidebar. Yeah. Do you want to hear my impression of Sean Connery's dog? Sure. Oh, no. Woofsh. 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 <laughs> Thank you. I'm wow. here all week. Oh, I love it. Oh wow. Yeah, that is that is Megan. <laughs> that is Megan humor. And that's right why there. I love Megan. Oh, <laughs> all right. Nice. That was a great choice. Megan, yes. what is yours? All right. Well, I think I have a debatable one here for you guys. Oh, uh, okay. So I am dying to talk about this movie, so I made it fit, okay? okay. <laughs> so I chose 1991's Oscar. Okay. So Sylvester Stallone, it's got Tim Curry in it, Marissa Tomei, Kurtwood Smith, so it's packed full of stars. Yeah. Um, so Sylvester Silly Stallone <laughs> is named Angel Snaps Provolone. He's a gangster, obviously. He's named after a cheese. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, love it. Um, and his opening scene, he is going to visit his father, who is dying. Okay. He's going to visit him on his deathbed. And his father basically, father basically beats the shit out of him, says, stop being a douchebag and go straight. Stop being a gangster, gangster, yeah. criminal. You're shaming the whole family. Do right by yourself and your family. So he's like, all right, all right, all right. I'll go straight. I'll go straight. So my MacGuffin is the dying father's promise because that sets the whole movie off because the entire movie takes place in one day. And it's the day Snaps Provolone goes straight. He's going to become a banker. And that drives the entire movie. So, and really, it has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. Because, you know, I mean, another MacGuffin could have been Oscar. Because Oscar's the chauffeur who gets his daughter pregnant. She's not really, well, I don't want to tell you that. Okay. But, but he's not even in the movie until the very last it's like, who's Oscar? He's the chauffeur. Yeah, see, when you brought up this movie to me, that was what I thought. I thought you were going to, that's why I thought Oscar was the MacGuffin. Because, yeah, he's kind of like, he's, he's. Uh, I mean, he's a character, but he's not, you know he's what I mean? In the like movie. He's, he's in the movie for like two seconds. And they the even name the like, fucking movie away. about him. And, and, it, and he ends up kind of being, yeah, an impetus for all these things happening. But he's not actually like an active character in the movie. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, so I think. Yeah. He's the... He's the chauffeur. He's the yeah. chauffeur. So how does he play into the movie? I I I don't know. I know nothing of nothing. this movie. He was the lover to Snap's daughter, right? And okay. she told her father because she wants out of the house because she feels stifled and in prison. She tells him that she's pregnant, and he's like, "Oh my god, I'm gonna kill him!" And then, but the, he thinks the accountant is in love with his daughter because he sold her so, and then he's stealing all this money from him. He's like, "If I wasn't going straight today, you would be." six feet underground right now so the whole thing like goes back to the dying father's promise like i'm trying to go straight i'm trying to be good here you guys are all trying to patience real hard right now 
So I'm going to kill do, Oscar. I'm going to kill the accountant. So how does Oscar can uh, like play into this? Is it like does he take him certain places in the limo? Are there conversations that he has with? You never no, even see you Oscar. Never see Oscar. Oscar's okay, not even point. in the movie. He's brought up because he he. Is the lover of the daughter. Is the lover of the main character's and daughter. Snaps thinks he got her pregnant. He's like, we got to find Oscar. We got to find Oscar. And it's like, no, the accountant's in love with the daughter, so they're going to marry him it gets, off. It gets real it's goofy, twisty, turny, and, and misunderstanding. And the next and thing you know, she's going to be married to Tim Curry's character. And then there's another daughter in play. And it's, it's all over the fucking place. And Snaps is just like pulling all these different directions. He's like, what? the fuck I'm gonna kill somebody literally and then if and, I wasn't going straight today and if I then, wasn't becoming a banker today and then Tim Curry looks and says the accountant was just a red herring nice. <laughs> not you. a MacGuffin yeah. that's a throwback to us talking about Clue last time so. yes. sorry anyway red so, herrings MacGuffins all that it's kind of similar so but that's why I went with the father's promise because everything goes back to that. He's like, if it wasn't for the father's promise he would literally be murdering people <laughs> for everything that they do to him in this movie but because of that he's not he's trying to be a better man trying to father you know keep doing what he's supposed to be doing like becoming the banker and stuff like the end and he's like you know what this is too hard i'm going back to being a, a so yeah at the very end it's just like the promise is just like okay fuck the promise yeah so yeah that, that's a tough one of whether or not i can consider that a true MacGuffin or not it's a it's it's a because it goes into another thing I read about when we were, when I was researching this whole thing after you brought this up, is there's a difference, there's a, there is a fine line, there's a difference between a MacGuffin and a plot, plot device. device. And it feels like in a way, the promise thing is more of a plot device. Maybe. Same, kind of same with Oscar and his existence in the story is kind of... But yeah, I don't know. I can't. I can't really decide. Matthew has a perplexed look on his face. I do, and I know that I'm I'm new to the group, so I don't want to be a dick about it. But I, you're wrong. <laughs> All right. No, well, no, no. <laughs> and mute Matt. Oh. All right, you're gone. No, no, no. I'm just I'm just kidding. You're so. <laughs> so here's here's my take on it. I uh -huh. think. Um, because the promise was done as a conversation, to me, a MacGuffin is something that just comes in and it purposely like pushes a plot in a different direction if you have a conversation and a promise is involved there is there's communication with that that is you know me being persuaded to do something um by my feelings for something else rather than an object that is just placed here and said okay go at the same time okay like with last crusade you know, there, there's an emotional attachment to the diary. Holy crap, I found my dad's diary. I should go. But it's not like he had a conversation. It was just right. this gut reaction of, here's his thing. I have to go do this. But, you know, if you and I have a conversation and you're dying and you're like, Matt, please take care of my turtle. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm like, that's a dying promise. I have to do that. That's not necessarily like a MacGuffin. The turtle isn't the MacGuffin aspect of it. Um, so I don't know. I, I think this is one of those that, falls to the side of not a MacGuffin in my personal... More of a plot device. Yes. I have a backup MacGuffin. Okay. Because I knew you guys weren't going to take it. <laughs> <laughs> so my backup MacGuffin is the um, the two bags because there's a bag full of jewels and there's a bag full of women's undergarments. Okay. And through the whole movie, it keeps getting switched. So they think they have one, like he's going to pay off the accountant with the bag full of jewels and he dumps it all and it's the bag full of undergarments 
he's like, ah! So he goes and switches back. No, you got to go get back the other bag because keeps. now the the maid has the jewels and instead of her undergarments, and it keeps constantly switching back and forth. And the cops are trying to catch on. That's he's like, oh, we okay, got him, we got him, and I'll give you that. And they end up. In with the and, wrong bags. Now, so. granted, the the, the movie itself sounds really cool. It sounds like a good like British farce kind of thing, and yeah. I and I love those kind of movies. So right. you know, the description of the movie I think is really cool, but I don't the, the bags. I'll give you the bags. I'll, I'll, I'll go with I'll the, give bags. You the bags. All right, I had a backup plan. All right, the so bags. the bags gets the thumbs up. Yes. Yes. But the rest of it. Yeah. I got to talk about Oscar, so I don't care. <laughs> That's the only fucking reason. It's like, I'm going to make this work. I'm God going to. I'm going to shoehorn this bitch in. <laughs> All right, so moving on to my number four. Uh, mine is is kind of a, a, a different one that you don't really see people bring up. And again, this is one of those ones where I got excited at first because I thought, like, totally, this is totally a MacGuffin. And then I'm like... Mm, I don't know. I, I can't decide. And it kind of goes to a conversation that we had uh, recently when we were talking about Lord of the Rings and whether the one true ring was a MacGuffin or not, because that's been that's one of the most debatable ones, because there's a bunch of people that say, oh, that's that's my number one MacGuffin. It's the one true ring. And then there's a bunch of people that are like, it's not a MacGuffin at all like that. The, it's such a central character to the entire story and everything, you know, it, it goes back and forth. And with this one, and I, I apologize because a lot of you people probably may not know this. I'm You guys probably don't know it. But what I'm talking about is a movie from 1965 starring the Beatles <laughs> known as Help. And it has to do with Ringo getting a ring sent to him. So I'll give you a I'll give you a, a real quick synopsis. So the movie starts, you see uh, a weird like Middle Eastern cult that are getting ready to perform a, a human sacrifice. This is a Beatles movie. Right? It was a spoof at the time on all the uh, James Bondy type movies that were out. And before they can sacrifice this girl, they realize that she's not wearing the sacrificial ring. She has to wear this sacrificial ring or she cannot be sacrificed to the great god Kaili. And they're going, oh my God, what happened to the ring? Well, the next thing is it cuts to the Beatles performing and doing the song help it's the beginning credits and everything and you see Ringo's got this gigantic you can see it on the screen there this gigantic fucking ring on because he was he's Ringo he was known for wearing rings what turns out is that the girl that was supposed to be sacrificed um this uh whatever this eastern girl was a huge Beatles fan and so she she got the ring in order to be sacrificed she sent it to Ringo as a gift because she was a fan she was like a teenage fan and everything so Ringo's been wearing this ring. Well, the the cult finds out that he's got the ring, so they're like, "Okay, we got to go get this ring back." You know, they keep trying to they keep trying to do all these different things of it, 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 all these goofy. It's a it's a comedy movie basically, but they tried to do all these goofy things. Like at one point, he's putting his hand into a, a machine to get a sandwich that he bought out, and they're trying to cut his hand off and everything to get the ring. They're trying to bite it. All this stuff. And it turns out that he can't get the fucking ring off. It won't come off his finger. He Even once he finds out what's going on, he's like, well, take the ring. Fuck this ring. He can't get it off his finger. So then the next thing is they go to see some goofy scientists, some British scientists and everything that the mad scientist guys to see if they can help figure out a way to like shrink his finger or enlarge it or, you know, laser blast it off. And they still can't get it off. So now those mad scientists are like, 
holy shit, with a ring like that, it's so powerful, and whatever it's made of is like, you know, we could rule the world. So now, in addition to this cult, now these crazy, like, mad scientist guys are after and trying to kill Ringo and get the, and get the band and everything, get it off. Scotland Yard gets involved. The band is, like, traveling all over the world trying to, like, hide from these, and, like, more people keep getting involved in this, trying to get Ringo to get this goddamn ring off his finger. And and then I'll give it away because at the very end, at like all of a sudden at one point, like right, there's all this crazy shits happening at one point. I, I they don't even really explain it. All of a sudden, the ring just like fucking comes off, <laughs> and he's just like, and he takes the ring and he sticks it on one of the the Indian dudes, and he's like, he's like, there you go, asshole, and now now you got it, or whatever. So now they're chasing him, and it, you never find out why the ring has any kind of significance, like why it's so strong, why it's powerful. It just starts out out of nowhere it ends up being this plot device thing but it's not really about the ring like the ring doesn't do anything special it doesn't have magic powers it doesn't it just gets stuck on his finger and then you come to find out that what the eleanor bronze character who's supposed to be like the head assassin or whatever she ends up actually being on the side of the beatles because you turn out it turns out that she conspired to send that ring and get it away and sent it to the because the girl that had it was supposed to be sacrificed was her sister so it was like a way of saving her sister's nice. life from this stupid cult thing nice. and everything. It's a really goofy movie. It, you know, it's just a real slapsticky, goofy kind of movie. It's got a bunch of great Beatles songs in it. They do, they do. You got to hide your love away in there and everything. When if you've, I don't know if you've ever seen that clip of them playing that. They've, it's like a video, you mm-hmm. know, but of them sitting around on the couches playing yeah. that song. And that's 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 from the movie and everything. Okay. When Ringo's sitting there looking all sullen playing the tambourine, it's because he's all bummed out because they're trying to kill him. And the chick that's sitting next to him in the pink suit, that's Eleanor Braun's character, the the uh, the Eastern assassin and everything. It's a goofy movie. I just, uh, like I said, it was one of those that popped up in my head and I was like, I think that might be a MacGuffin. To me, that is like the ultimate MacGuffin. Is because it? Okay. It's, yeah, that, that's kind of one of those, you know, it takes off in one direction and then somebody else finds out about it, so they went in on it and it grows and it grows and it grows and it becomes bigger than itself all because of that one little object. Right. And so then I just, that's, that's and especially like then, like I said, be. I love at the very end that uh, after all of that, all of a sudden the ring just ends up like coming off. Yeah. And it's like, what? <laughs> After all that. See, and, and, but to me, that like uh, the MacGuffin should be an inconsequential thing. And the uh, fact that it just pops off, and you're like, ah, there you go. All right, cool. So, okay, good. Yeah. Well, I did all right then, because I really wasn't sure about that one. Yeah, no, I mean, that's definitely better than a dying promise. <laughs> <laughs> Love you so much. Oh, man. <laughs> you had that coming. For those that couldn't see, Megan, <laughs> Megan just made Matt spill his water on himself. <laughs> All right, so that's our number fours, right? So we can move on to three? Correct. All right, well then, uh, Matthew. Uh, My number three is Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Oh, nice. And uh, this, I've loved this movie since I've been a kid. Um, You know, if you've ever seen it, it's, it was like the, not one of the first, but one of the big moments where cartoons and real life melded together um the, the plot of it is that there is a tune named roger rabbit he's a cartoon rabbit yeah and uh he has a wife named jessica rabbit if you know i'm assuming everybody knows who jessica rabbit is voiced by kathleen turner in right. her most sultry awesomeness otherwise known from kathleen turner overdrive kathleen yes. turner overdrive yes <laughs> one of the best fake band names ever, ever. yeah um 
but the the basic plot of it is that Bob Hoskins plays a character named Eddie Valiant. Yeah. And um, he is a private detective, but his brother was killed by a tune, by a cartoon character. So he despises all things cartoon. Drop the safe on him. Drop the safe on him. And um, Jessica is having a meeting with Marvin Acme, who is the owner of Toontown, the town where all the cartoons live, and a couple other things. And basically, uh, pictures are taken of the two of them together playing patty cake. And it's literally them playing patty cake, the hand game. But it sounds... It, it, the, well, the double in, in Toon World, playing patty, patty cake, cake is means, naughty. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, naughty. Exactly. Um, but it turns out that the photos were staged. Um, but basically... Roger Rabbit thinks that Jessica is having an affair with Marvin Acme. The next day, Marvin ends up dead. Because of that, Roger is the main suspect. Um, Hence, who framed, who framed Roger, Roger Rabbit. Rabbit. Um, but uh, it turns out that Marvin Acme ends up giving his will, last will and testament to Jessica. They open up this piece of paper, and it's completely blank. So the rest of the movie is them trying to figure out uh, where the will is because whoever owns the will owns Toontown. Uh, in the meantime, Christopher Lloyd plays the bad guy, uh, Judge Doom, and uh, he is out to just completely kill, destroy, annihilate Roger Rabbit. Um, they go back and forth and back and forth. At the end of the movie, in the big climax, you find out that Judge Doom is actually a cartoon character who is the one that killed Eddie's brother in the first place, but he wants the will because he wants to destroy Toontown and put a freeway to go through it instead to create new attractions and new things like that because he utterly hates tune. Because he utterly hates tunes. Um, but you find out at the end of the movie that the will is actually that piece of paper, but the will was written in disappearing ink. So they use the ink and they find out that uh, Toontown is left to the tunes so that you know it stays as it should for the rest of perpetuity. Um, but it was one of those movies where... Um, like I said, I just loved the aspect of cartoons in real life coming into play. It was also the first time that, um, and this is such a little throwaway moment in the whole movie, but Daffy Duck and Donald Duck are playing dueling pianos oh, yeah. in the bar. It's great. And it was one of the first times that like a Disney character had interacted with a Warner Brothers character. It's the only time. Mm -hmm. Was it the only time? It's the only time. Um, and to me, like as a kid, that was such a cool thing that you had these two worlds that I loved and they're finally interacting together. It was, and real quick, uh, let me just add yeah, please. it's more than two worlds because I, in addition to the fact that you had uh, you had Disney and you had Warner Brothers characters, you also had uh, Walter Lance characters because Droopy is in there as, oh, yeah. the, as the elevator operator, and that's from Woody Woodpecker. Yeah, that's from Lance and all that stuff. So to get that in there, it, it, that could never happen now. Mm -hmm. They would never be able to... Yeah, the get, way the studios work together to allow those characters to exist in that universe was just really cool. We haven't seen anything like that happen since then until they did the whole MCU thing by Sony. Sony, Sony letting Spider-Man and stuff be mm -hmm. in there. That's why it was such a big deal. People don't realize, like what all is involved with that yeah. so yeah i thought that was amazing anyway i know that's besides the point no but. no, no. But, but it's one of the things i loved about the movie too um that like so we're talking about our favorite movies that contain MacGuffins in them but i love talking about these movies anyway because the, the literally every movie that's on my list i love for a different reason it just happened to have a MacGuffin in it to give me the opportunity to talk about it right and yeah and did you explain what the MacGuffin was that the will? will? The will, yeah. The will, yes. <laughs> we yes. didn't make that clear. Yes. Sorry, yes. I didn't so, miss that. So the will, so that everybody is fighting to find the will. Where did it go? What happened to it? At the end, you find out they had it the whole time, but it was just written with the invisible ink. 
on on Roger's silly uh, wasn't it on his love letter or whatever yes yes the love letter they wrote to jessica yeah yes because at the end of the movie he goes to read this love letter to jessica and i forget what happened there was some sort of a chemical involved but the will starts to show up under his love letter so he starts reading this love letter to jessica and it turns into this legalese document right it's a great movie so i'm you would have been pretty young when that came out um yeah well young yeah i was 89 i was 13 okay so you weren't too young did you see it at the theater you know what? I don't remember. I want to say I don't think I did. I think it was a home video. I did. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. I saw it at the theater. It was great seeing it at the theater. It was, you know, especially at the time because there were so many holy shit moments about it as you're watching it. Like that part with Daffy and, and uh, Donald and stuff. You're just like, oh my God. Like people nowadays won't understand the significance of it because those characters are all so old or whatever. But these are the characters we grew up with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you just didn't see those two worlds cross over like that. So to see that, it it's it kind of like be going to see a movie now and seeing Pokemon characters fighting like, uh, you know, Naruto or something mm-hmm. like that for, for all the younger yeah. people out there. Well, and it was cool too. Like, you know, I'd always remembered like the knock, the, the, the shave and a haircut. Yep. So that I still think of that. Yep. I think, and I'd that. never known that it was called shave and a haircut, you I know, did. and because of that movie, like, you know, I'm always like shave and a haircut and people are like, what? No, it's the knock. <laughs> shave and a haircut. Two uh-huh. yep. But yeah, and the idea behind that is that that's how you can flush out a tune in any place. Is they, they can't have, they can't resist yeah, it. They can't yeah. resist it. So if you do the shave and a haircut, they have to follow. They it up have to. The Otherwise, it's like this like built up like OCD <laughs> kind of thing, and that's how they flush Robert the Rabbit out at a certain point. Yep. Nos, I I like that. Do you like that movie? Have you seen it? I haven't seen it in a long time. I don't know why I remember it being R rated. Um. It's it not R-rated. It's, it's how I have it in my memory. At the time, it was some of it was risque. Yeah, it was for, very risque for, kids. for, for, yeah, yeah, for a really cartoon movie. Yeah, it wasn't made to be a kid's movie. Mm-hmm. You know, for people, you know, I was at the time that came out, I was 16, Matt was 13. Like, that's fine. Yeah, but I'm yeah, if nine, you were so. <laughs> you were nine and you would have been, yeah, that, yeah it was a little, little, little young. Yeah. You know, you were a little young for that. So, but nice. Yeah. All right. Moving on, Megan. Yes. What is your choice? I'm afraid. Are you? Even say it. I don't think, I know what it is. I think it's good. All right. All right. So I went with 2004's National Treasure. I love it. (laughs) And I chose, because I'm sure this is one that has multiple MacGuffins as well. Real quick. In the chat, Carrie Ann says, saddest movie, death, the shoe and the dip. I agree with you. 1,000 percent. I still now hate to see that part. I hate when they Mm -hmm. do that. Yeah. yeah, they they yeah. It's and for an inanimate object, like it's a yeah. shoe. You shouldn't feel so bad because uh, okay. So and, and not so to vile. take away Go from it, it, but but there is there's a dip. There's basically this acid bath thing that's in a, a a steel gallon drum. That that's how Judge Doom is killing all the characters. Is you dip them in there and they just acidically. It's basically ink eraser. Yeah. Yeah. It's so that's how you yes. kill a tune. Yeah. Is you do, and they this poor little happy little happy shoe, and he dips it, and you watch it slowly die. It's 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 crum- yeah, That's yeah. what I said for like a nine year old. It'd probably make you cry. Yeah. yeah. So probably you know, never watch it again. Yeah. But, but, and but, fuck, but also- fuck 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 the dip. You know why? <laughs> you put your hand up on my hip when I say to dip. You dip. You put your hand up on my hip when I dip. You dip. We dip. Yeah. Fuck the dip and fuck that song. Fuck the dip too. Wow. I'm so glad we have the sound effect. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so 2004's National. Oh, yeah, let's God. get into that. I'm, I'm, I'm stunned right now. I can't even think properly after that 
fiasco. <laughs> You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. So I chose The Secret Lies with Charlotte because it's got this little piece of paper that was given to, you know, Nicolas Cage's grandfather and father and, you know, generations after generations. They've carried this thing trying to figure out what the hell is Charlotte. Who is Charlotte? Who it is and what secret could possibly lie with it. So it starts out with, you know. Nicolas Cage, Ben Gates is a little boy. He's up in the attic and his grandfather comes along and tells him the whole story about it. And then the dad comes up. Um, who plays it? John Voight. Yeah. Um, plays Patrick Gates. And he's like, this is stupid. It doesn't even exist. Charlotte's a waste of time. You know, you're going to lose your family, your money, your reputation. Just forget Charlotte. It's it's all make-believe bullshit. And of but course, the idea is that the founding fathers had buried some sort of a treasure somewhere right. In, right. in the nation. Right. And somehow Charlotte, whoever she key. is, is she the key knew, yeah. to... The key to finding the treasure. So the Knight Templars, they hid it to protect it. And Charlotte has a secret. But Charlotte can't be found for hundreds of years mm-hmm. or so. Yeah. So, But it starts out with that. And, you know, of course, they end up finding what Charlotte, who Charlotte is... And then it goes on to the next clue. And the clue after that, the clue after that, as the dad puts it. So it kind of set the whole movie off Secret Lives with Charlotte. And it, because it started with the younger generations back when Ben, what was it, Ben Franklin? Yeah, Who was Benjamin, it? Founding Benjamin Fathers? Franklin Greeks. Yeah. <laughs> um, ben Franklin, you know, the guy that sold all that cheap stuff, the five and dime store stuff. Yeah. Ben Franklin. Jesus. Ben Franklin. <laughs> so it started with him. It's gone generation after generation and it just keeps this little piece of paper just says mm-hmm. the secret lies with Charlotte. So that's the MacGuffin I chose. I think that's awesome. Um, you, he's like, you're I mean, fucking wrong, but no, you know, no, not at all. Because <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm waiting I'm, for it. I am. I'm going to jump ahead because this was my, this was my number two choice from a right. movie. Um, so I want to piggyback off of that. Okay. And the, the idea is that, you know, as they're looking for the treasure, it turns out that there's a massive clue that's written on the back of the Declaration of Independence. So it becomes we have to steal the Declaration in order to find the next secret. But the thing about it is when you, you find out that Charlotte is not a woman, she's a ship. Mm-hmm. And that when they get to the ship, there is a pipe that they find that's just another clue. And it takes you on and it takes you on. But um, Nicholas Cage is partnered with Sean Bean mm-hmm. at the time. And things go south at the Charlotte and they go their separate ways. Yeah. So, um, so Ben Gates decides that he needs to steal the Declaration of Independence to stop Sean Same Bean thing. from stealing it. Because Sean Bean has no, he doesn't care about history. He's going to find the clue, rip up the declaration, and move on. Where Ben Gates has a love for history, so he wants to protect it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but but I agree. I, I, when I was originally thinking about it, to me, the Declaration of Independence. Once they find out 
that that to me was the MacGuffin is they go for the declaration and, and once they steal it, the movie takes off in all these different directions. But when I was talking to my wife Carrie Ann, she's like, No, 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 no. The, the Charlotte, Charlotte is the MacGuffin. Yeah. She that's where everything starts. Starts because, out, yeah. Yeah, you find this ship and then it leads you them in one direction and Ben Gates in another. So it's a different MacGuffin for different people and it sends them right. in those directions. So I I do originally I thought I was gonna go that it was the Declaration of Independence, but no, you are one hundred percent correct I feel that Charlotte like is the main MacGuffin. More of a the plot device yes. after that. I agree. So yeah, I think yeah, Charlotte and finding that ship is what sets everything, everything off. in motion. So so I will you've totally redeemed Oscar for that because you actually picked <laughs> because but you picked Charlotte as the MacGuffin in that, which is the proper choice. Yeah, well, and, done. And, well and, and again, just like I gave you props earlier for picking, for doing deep digging and picking what I think is the better choice and everything, um, I, I, I agree, yeah, with that. I think, uh, because again, this comes up a lot in a lot of conversations about MacGuffins, and people always say the Declaration of Independence. Uh, and... I get that. Like, I understand why people say that. And it's not necessarily a wrong choice. But I think that the the Secret Lives of Charlotte thing is the more right choice. Because that is really what sets the movie off. And Declaration of Independence ends up being sort of, it's almost like a, like a mini MacGuffin, a mini guffin. You know what I mean? Like it, <laughs> it, it, it works in the same similar kind of function, but I don't think that truly sets the, the characters and the, path of these characters and stories off in their various ways the way that charlotte does so that's a really good one yep yeah because i don't think it would have been the same if he just was like oh here's a secret lies of charlotte here you go it's like it was the family heirloom kind of thing <laughs> and that's why he felt he needed to seek it okay yeah i i agree i think that's a really good one good for you to to think of that one all right, can we move on? Yes. All right, so moving on, because I know we're... <laughs> like that, can we move on? No, 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 I just, I didn't want to cut you off, you know? I, I Feel free to keep going. Um, <laughs> but I know we've already been going for like an hour. Um, Are you serious? Yeah. It goes quick, man. It really does. It's fun to talk, so hopefully everybody's not going to talk. No wonder my ass hurts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my number three is a movie that I think is unfairly maligned by a lot of people. It, it you know, it's one of those ones. Well, it doesn't, you know, didn't rate well on Metacritic and all that other shit. I just watched this again recently, and I'm like, it's a stupid movie in a sense. It's it's not an important movie. It's a fun movie. It's a it's a fun. Some of it is definitely a little beyond belief and everything, but for me, it is the movie Sahara. I really like this movie. I love this movie, and I'm talking about as you can see here on the screen. I am talking about the Confederate coin, and because this was another one that popped up right away when you brought up uh, the topic to me, because I I had just recently watched it and the Confederate coin. Again, it's one of those things where it doesn't serve any real purpose at all other than to set things in motion. I mean, you find out about this whole this ship that was created in um, Iron Ship. 
this giant iron, like, you know, sort of stealthy battleship thing that was created by the Confederate South back in, in the Civil War, back in the Civil War. And that the, the famous thing is that it just somehow in the middle of a battle, it disappeared, never to be seen. It and its inhabitants had never to be seen again. And there was all these rumors about where it could turn up and all this stuff. And uh, Matthew McConaughey and uh, Steve Zahn are these two like researcher uh guys they're fucking characters of course it's matthew mcconaughey <laughs> and steve zahn i mean that's, that's and, and i'll watch steve zahn in anything oh yeah exactly <laughs> both both of them are great and put them together it's it's a it's a great pairing and you come to find out that they're obsessed uh with trying to find out what happened to this thing and they suddenly come to find out that one of the coins that was purportedly owned by the captain of this ship that had been given to him by uh i forget who it was that gave it to him the the confederate general guy whatever i, I don't care about the confederacy fuck <laughs> but <laughs> i'm just saying you know i mean just uh i'm not real uh, civil war i admittedly am not as well versed on as i am the other stuff um but and in any case they come to find out that this coin has been spotted in uh africa and they're going, there's no way that coin should be in Africa. So, you know, there had been some rumors about that maybe the ship had made it out onto the open ocean and gone to another country. And people were saying, there's no way that could happen. It would never make it. Blah, blah, blah. So the whole thing is that they end up going to this other country to find that at the same time they wind up getting wrangled into this whole crazy thing that's going on with uh this disease this horrible affliction that's happening to the people there and you come to find out it's because there's stuff being poisoned in the water poisoning the water illegally by these evil pile of fucking titians yeah basically politicians you know and stuff involved and and the coin does come up uh, at one point the coin the coin comes up one or two more times very briefly kind of uh, is just another reason to get to the next point mm-hmm. is like, you know, well, how are we going to, Oh, you know what? I gave them that coin. And that was, that was our payment to get to this next thing we needed to, but the coin in and of itself doesn't do anything. It's not a magic coin. It doesn't, it's, it, it, it's just such a minor point in the story really. But without that coins existence, this story never would have happened. Taken them. You know, it ends up not being important ultimately. But if that without that coin happening, this story never would have gone mm-hmm. where it did. They wouldn't have ran into the people they did. They wouldn't have had the the connection. Even when he meets with the guy who gives him the coin, find out how who he knows, and all it, like it ends up having this major connectivity, uh, uh, you know, importance to it. But the coin of itself, once it gets past, it's like uh, it doesn't even matter. He doesn't even care about the coin anymore after that, you know. So I thought this was a good MacGuffin for that. I would agree. Um, I I I love this movie. I love uh, William H Macy is in oh, it. Yes, oh, he's um, great in it. You know, uh, Penelope Cruz is right. the mm-hmm. uh, is the one that kind of wrangles them into this uh, nefarious organization that's poisoning the water and things like that. But I almost felt like from from a MacGuffin standpoint, okay. I agree one hundred percent. From a movie standpoint. I was bothered by the fact that I almost felt like it was two different movies. Like one of mm-hmm. them was treasure hunting to find the coin, to find the iron ship, to find the treasure that is on this iron ship because it's supposed to be, you yeah. know, buckets and buckets of gold. 
And then they get there, and Penelope Cruz pulls them into this environmental mission where right. they're trying to figure out who's poisoned the water and what happened. And at the end of it, the yeah. two That's the two point. points of that do converge again, but almost coincidentally, they do. You know what? And I and I'm glad you brought that up because it helped me segue into another point I was going to bring up, which was the idea of multiple MacGuffins. Again, you know my nickname. Um, because in a way, you could say the Iron Ship is a MacGuffin as well, because it starts with the whole thing with the Iron Ship. That, that's the beginning of the movie is showing us back in the 1860s with the Iron Ship happening. And that's the reason why these guys are out there doing what they're doing and trying to find stuff. And that's the reason they go to, to Africa. That's why they care about the coin in the first place. All that kind of stuff is because of this ship. The ship ends up and, you know, they get signs along the way. They see the, the painting on the cave wall of the ship and everything that lets them know they're on the right track. And then at the end, yeah, they find the ship like purely by accident. Absolutely by accident. Just trying to save their own asses. Yeah. And then and then I mean, but ultimately the funny thing about it is, yeah, once they get to that point and they find the ship and all that kind of, it's like the ship doesn't really matter anymore. So in a sense... The ship is kind of the MacGuffin when you think about it, like it because it served only to set them to have why they're doing what they're doing, why they're even doing what they're doing. But the ship had no importance at all. No, none. And I could see why that would bother you, because it ends up being so that the whole Penelope Cruz side of the story and all this. uh yeah, all this chemical warfare thing that's going on in the water and all that ends up being like the main crux of the story where it's like I and that's probably why a lot of people, I think, did get a little bummed because the best parts about the movie are the treasure hunting, the the, you know, that that whole part of it is the best part of it. Always I, getting into the other stuff. I understand why they had it there. But you just found yourself like not caring as much about that as much as you were like, man, I just want to see them you know, ski more broken airplanes across the desert floors trying to find more treasures and all that stuff. Because, yeah, I mean, even when they find the ship, you think it's going to be for McConaughey and Zahn. You think it's going to be this like, oh, like, oh, my God, we found the ship. And it's not. They're just like, get in the ship. We got we're getting shot at, you know. Oh, well, we're just going to blow the damn thing up, you know, and it's just like, (laughs) what? After all that, that they kind of render it sort of like, oh, well, we realize it's not that important, actually. It's like, dude. (laughs) <laughs> that's kind of a bummer yeah i i've never was really, that you mcconaughey by the way i was just my southern whatever okay you know? yeah i was i could work harder on McConaughey. Like, well you know i say this ship is out in the middle of the desert and somewhere in africa it'd be pretty cool if it was <laughs> that was much better i appreciate <laughs> you a- thank you for giving that, a second. that yeah that was that was very nice thank you yeah but anyway my point is is um yeah i i, I could see that so, yeah, to me, they kind of, again, I think they both work. I, the coin, I, like I said, I felt was like maybe the more obvious one because that I was, like the ship. But the ship, now that I think about it, is maybe the bigger MacGuffin. The big guffin. <laughs> I, I think I still agree with the coin. I mean, because okay. the, the ship, okay, obviously at some point in, you know, during Civil War, so 1800s, mid 1800s, this ship ends up in the middle of the Sahara Desert. Right. And it ends up there because there was a river at one point that dried up. The yeah. dunes shifted over. It buried the ship. Right. Um, but it wasn't until that coin was found 150 years later sure. that then suddenly the adventure begins. So and the, I, and I the still, coin is less important. I still stick that it's the coin that takes them on the adventure to find it. Fair enough. 
Fair enough. Okay, cool. All right. Is that to disagree with me? Is that (laughs) (laughs) is that all the threes? Then are we on to two? We are. I think we are. We are. Um, And I and I already discussed my two because it overlapped with Megan's three. So I'm going to bypass that and hand it right back to the lovely Megan Guess. Okay, Megan. Right, you are. God damn right, you are. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I went with another movie I've been wanting to talk about forever. Um, and it's 2004's Without a Paddle. Okay. With Seth Green, Dex Shepard, um, Matthew Lillard. Lil- Lillard? Lillard, yeah. Lillard. Um, and Burt Reynolds. Oh, got to get a Burt Reynolds. Got to get a Burt Reynolds, yeah. So, you know, Seth Green, Dax, and Matthew, they're all childhood friends. They end up coming back together because their fourth person dies in an accident. Okay. So they go to his funeral, end up going to their old childhood treehouse, and they're going like, oh, look at all this cool stuff. And, and there's a lot of cool 80s stuff in there. And they end up finding you know, their old flag that they made themselves. And underneath that is a little chest that they wrote on there, D.B. Cooper's treasure chest. So I made that my, my MacGuffin. It's just overall this chest. But inside of it has um, a C-3PO. He's like, give me that. That's that's worth a lot of money now. So I was like, that's Larry. And, <laughs> but it's not worth that much actually. But I would still want it. Yeah. Anyway, so but inside here was a little Indiana Jones toy compass. Oh, cool. That was the friend that died. It's compass. Right. But in here, they also find where you know this friend has been working on trying to find DB Cooper's treasure. Okay. And where he's at. And he wanted them to go on this adventure to find it. So they're like, you know what? Let's drop everything, do it. And of course, one was like, I can't. I got responsibilities. And the other one was like, I can't. I don't want to do anything responsible. And the other one was, fuck it. Let's go do it. <laughs> so they ended up going and do it. And total hell breaks loose. They get chased by pot growers and, and kidnapped <laughs> oh, <no>. by. <laughs> yeah. They chased them really slowly. <laughs> they were just hungry. They were just hungry. Yeah. Well, the dogs end up high and because oh, they burn the whole crop, the whole fucking crop's gone. Wow! I was like, "Oh, good, there's still some left." And I, oh shit, shit, fuck. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> so and they get kidnapped by Burt Reynolds, and I go, like, "Oh my god, don't rape us." And he's like, "I'm just a mountain man. I'm okay." But it's like <laughs> this whole tantric tree sex thing going on, and you know what this is reminding me of? You know the part in. You know the part in the Muppet movie when they're going back and they're recapping for the audience and Dr. Teeth is reading the reading the script and he's giving them that really like cut up version of the of <laughs> yeah, the script and everything. Yeah. They don't look like Presbyterians to me and all that stuff. And it gets into <laughs> the whole thing and it's like it didn't help the audience understand where they were at at all. That's what this is. Yep, that's what I'm doing here. <laughs> yeah, I'm all over the place. It's, it's just a silly, crazy movie. But the whole time they like have these pieces from this treasure chest. They somehow took with them and I somehow see. like go over waterfalls and with rapids and wrecking their canoes. They still have all these little pieces <laughs> somehow. But these and, pieces but don't have any real like importance. They really don't. Because like, how's this toy cup is really on. gonna get you anywhere? Those things aren't accurate. But and C three PO, come on, he was like one of the most common of the original fucking twelve back Star Wars figures. I mean, you could still find those loose like at any toy show or or you know yard sale for like you know under ten bucks. <laughs> I want to talk more about the tantric tree sex. Like what? <laughs> Uh, is it sex with trees or is it tantric? Wasn't sex that the na- wasn't that the trees? name in trees? Wasn't okay. that the name of your your alt rock band in the nineties? Yeah. <laughs> tantric tree sex. sex. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, they're like hairy hippie women and 
and Speaking in a rain, the 90s. in a rain, <laughs> yeah, in a rainstorm is very tantric. They said, so. ah, oh, that's funny. With the swaying of the tree, and so how? Do, and I, I've, I'm familiar with the movie. I've seen the poster, you know, multiple times back in the blockbuster, you know, in the days uh-huh. when we used to go in there. How did it end? Did they find? Did they find treasure? Was the they treasure inside them the whole Cooper. time? They did find DB Cooper, and Burt Reynolds plays DB Cooper's partner. Oh. And that's why he's been on the mountain. He's been up there all these decades trying to find his partner. Hmm. And they, so they, they stumble, literally stumble and find D.B. Cooper where he fell down a hole and he broke his leg or something. And he ended up burning his money, the money to stay warm to try to save himself, but ultimately died. But he did not burn his partner's money. So they ended up giving the money to Dell, the partner. Gotcha. To go start his life finally. If only they would have just realized that D.B. Cooper was actually Loki the whole time. Seriously, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> You'd know better. Yeah, who knew? So, so what you're saying is this this little kid's faux D.B. Cooper locker and its contents, you're saying is the MacGuffin. Yes. The Phobo Cooper. Yeah. Phobo Cooper, yeah. The Phobo Cooper. The Phobo Guffins. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I guess, yeah, I mean, it's hard to say without seeing the movie and everything, but it sounds like that could fit, you yeah. know? Because at, at the end, when they find D.B. Cooper, they end up tossing this these trinkets from the chest onto D.B. Cooper, and they leave it there because they've completed their mission now. Nice. So. See, I, I think this is a full-on MacGuffin movie. Okay. I mean, because it doesn't the plot doesn't start until he passes away. It's not him passing away. It's not an interaction with him as an individual. Right. They find the it's treasure trinket. chest, Finding the, trinkets, the trinkets that sets them on the to path. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, I'm cool with that. And then at the very end, they find One-Eyed Willie, and they each throw their individual things and yeah. on them. And yeah, throw them on them and you know, literal over him. I'm taking this one back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is my wish. Hey, you guys. Okay. <laughs> but no, I think that's, yeah, I think that that works for me. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, so, so it was a genuine MacGuffin and it's a movie you wanted to talk about for a while. Yeah, it is. Win-win. Win-win. Sweet. I was like, I'm, I'm shoehorning some of these in here, <laughs> goddammit. <laughs> they are going to fit. I think that works. Ouch. And I like the fact that we're bringing up, I mean, if we were just bringing up all the same ones that every other podcast and article is already bringing up, then it's fucking Why are we cool. doing this? Exactly. What's the point? Exactly. All right. <laughs> On that note, I am going to bring up one that is brought up in a lot of articles and is considered another one of like the classic MacGuffins. And that's from a movie from the early 60s. But again, I when I realized, oh, yeah, that's that is a MacGuffin. And I realized that I got really excited because I've always wanted to talk about this movie because <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my all time favorite movies. Oscar, isn't it? No, it's <laughs> It is not Oscar. Damn it, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> From now on, that's what we're gonna call. Oh, From now shit. on, you know, just like MacGuffins, they've got this term. From now on, on Geeking Poetic Podcast, when somebody brings up something that's like, no, that's totally like doesn't fit at all what we're talking about. We're gonna call it an Oscar. It's an Oscar. It's an Oscar. <laughs> Meg, are you pulling an Oscar? She's not happy about. You can this. both go to hell. <laughs> Well, in any case, what the fuck are we talking about? 
It's one of my favorite movies. It's my number two choice. It's from the early 60s. I want to say it's from 1960, 61, somewhere around there. And I'm talking about the Golden Fleece from Jason and the Argonauts. Mm. There's the fleece right there. I thought I'd put the actual fleece so people know what I'm talking about instead of just the movie poster. Uh, Jason and the Argonauts, it's uh, uh, you know one of those Greek uh, mythology movies and stuff. It's got all the awesome stop motion mm-hmm. stuff in there, which I grew up with. Yeah, I- what was his name? Oh, Ray Harryhausen. Harryhausen, thank you. I was going to say Jason. No, (laughs) Jason. That's the guy. The Argonaut, come on. (laughs) Uh, Your brother's going to make his own version of it and call it Jason and the Meganauts. Probably. Be attacked by a bunch of of Megs with swords and stuff like the Argonauts. That's what he's going to get at Christmas when he fucks with me again. Yeah, it's totally going to happen, Jason. So if you're watching or listening to this, beware. I like inside jokes. Yeah, well... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it, it comes up all the time on the show yeah. and her and her brother and their their travails and her kicking the burger over the couch and all that kind of stuff and certain things that have just not been let go of for 30 years cool. <laughs> i'll you, see you in later okay, you'll, thank you. you'll, you'll learn thank you. matt you thank will you. learn we'll get you up to speed but in any case jason and the argonauts it's a movie um about uh god how do i even explain it well it's about a guy a young man named jason he was a, a a baby that was born to the original the 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 king that had been struck down by his usurper. They had hidden the child Jason away from the uh, the usurper guy. Oh, the gear. Hey, what's going on, dude? Welcome to the uh, welcome to the chat. And uh, he had been hidden away for all these years. It had been prophesized that this child was going to take back the land and rid the land of this evil usurper and all this stuff. Uh, the once Jason gets older, the 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 new evil king guy realizes that Jason is who he is. Jason doesn't know that he doesn't quite understand what he's dealing with. Doesn't realize that. The king is what he is at first. And what ends up happening is he gets sent on this mission to go find from way, way far away. Apparently back in those days, it was probably like 200 miles away or something like that. It's like, it's going to take you half a lifetime. It's like, bro, it's like going from here to Milwaukee. (laughs) But it was ancient Greece. So, you know, fair enough. But anyway, uh, he gets sent on a mission to go get this golden fleece. And the whole thing is that the king guy, that evil bastard that sends him on this mission to do this is like well it's kind of a win-win for me if jason gets the golden fleece and brings it back to me then i'll be super powerful because reportedly you know the legend has it that this golden fleece brings the king and whoever whichever king has it in their land like all this prosperity a lot like excalibur and everything um and if he doesn't come back with the fleece it's going to be problem solved well he's like he's going to be because he got killed along the way which is great because i just want jason to be fucking dead and out of my way and not a problem he can't kill him himself right yeah there's like a whole thing with that there's you know again there's always something with this greek mythology stuff of you know achilles and odysseus and people that can't be killed for whatever reason anyway so he ends up jason ends up putting together this like really cool team they call the argonauts because the ship is the is the argo that, that gets built and the Argonauts are made up of all these different guys that have like different skills. One of them is, is Hercules actually the, you know, another famous character Hercules is, is on there. Um, I can't remember the names of these other guys. I've seen this movie 5 billion times too, but in any case they go and the whole movie is about them trying to get to this foreign land 
to get this golden fleece to bring back and everything. And along the way, Jason not only figures out like what he's been bamboozled into and all this stuff and realizes like, well, okay, once I get that golden fleece, I'm keeping it and I'm going to take over, you know, I'm going to go kill that bastard, you know, and take the land back. But in the meantime, they come across all these obstacles. They, they, at one point they land on an Island where they have to fight a, a Titan, uh, Than, uh, is, is it Than, Thanos? I can't, is it Thanos? I can't remember. Tano? Ta- this Talos. Yeah. Talos, Talos or something yeah, like that. Talos maybe. I'm thinking of Marvel. <laughs> Talos. Yeah. The giant, uh, statue guy that comes to life and, at one point, they have to fight these harpies, and they, they're just all the dead skeleton guys. That's the famous scene everybody remembers is the skeleton guys with the stop-motion guys with the swords and everything. It's great. I mean, it's very early 60s. You know, most kids now would look at it and go, this is, what is this? You know, <laughs> I think it's great. But the thing about it is the Golden Fleece is like the driving thing that finally gives the story a purpose it sends that it causes the Argonauts to come into existence and the ship to be built and Jason to have a purpose and what it means for the different people involved and stuff. And then of course there's the whole thing when he gets to the land and he gets to, he comes to get this fleece. Then the thing that the people at the land are like, wait, you're going to take our fleece from us. Then what's going to happen to us, you know? And the funny thing about it is the fleece in and of itself, again, it's, I mean, you know, fucking look at it. It's just this, it's just this fleece. <laughs> like a golden cow. Yeah, it's essentially what it is. But you never really find out like, well, what the fuck does this thing even do and why and what's the point and everything. But it's just this, um, this thing that everybody covets and needs to have and all this. And you don't really see the fleece until like the very, very end of the movie almost and stuff course jason gets the goddamn fleece after all sorts of travails and stuff but i feel like the like i said the fleece is what drives the movie it's what they're after it's why you know all these different people have different motivations about what they do if they got it and who you know the evil king wants it jason wants it blah blah blah, blah. but you but the fleece doesn't exist through the whole movie until like sorry until the very end you know what i mean it's i don't know i feel like it's a it's a prime MacGuffin. i don't I don't see it. It doesn't do anything, really. I mean, it, they believe it does. They believe that whoever has it then, you know, has supreme power of, you know, to be the the promised land kind of thing. But it's just this fucking artifact. It's just this thing. So that's my MacGuffin for number two. All right. <laughs> Matt's like, I don't care. Let's move on. <laughs> no, no, I care. <laughs> I care. I care deeply. I care. I care so. I care deeply. There you are. There I am. You're twisting again. I am. I <laughs> um, it's been a while since I've seen this one, and I remember. I remember being on like WPWR fifty yep. on uh, like a Saturday afternoon, and I remember <laughs> like catching bits and pieces of it, like in between going out to play and things like that. Um, and I always loved that stop motion aspect of things. I mean, it was so kind of cool to see that. You know, as an early '80s kid. That was it. Was a quintessential like '60s kind yeah. of a, a lost in space ish kind of thing. Um, the the fleece itself for for it to become Jason's adventure. I mean that that puts him on that adventure. I guess my question to you is: Yeah, is that something that comes to Jason and he decides I must go get that, or was that an assignment that was given to him because this object exists? And if it was assigned to him because it exists, it falls just slightly to me outside the realm of what a MacGuffin should be because it's kind of a, a thing that just pops up and changes the path of who you are. Um, 
Yeah, but I, I, to me, I feel like that. It, cha- I don't think it matters whether he wanted to go find the fleece or whether somebody else wanted to send him on the fleece. I think it, be- either way, it becomes like, it becomes his purpose. You know what I mean? Like prior to that, he his purpose was well. All he knew was that you know, I gotta avenge my family's death and everything, and I've got to overthrow this king. Uh, I don't even. No, you know, and he, he's been in seclusion and raised like out in like the boonies and stuff. So he's like, you know, he doesn't even know what the king looks like. He's just literally like wandering into town. Finally, one day when he's old enough being like, OK, I've got to I got to go do this. I'm a man now. So that's my you know, that's what's been prophesied or whatever. I got to go avenge my family. He doesn't. That's why at first the king is able to bamboozle him because he doesn't even realize he's talking to the dude he wants to kill. Like, he has no idea. Yeah, the king's basically trying to buy himself time. Yeah, more or less, right. And that's what I'm saying. So he kind of gets sent on this mission. It becomes it becomes a mission, but it ends up becoming, like, and then as throughout the movie, like, at first, even these Argonauts are sort of like, at first, they're sort of like, just sort of like along for the ride. Mm-hmm. Like, well, if you pay us and we'll go, you know, and everything, like, cool, we'll go, we'll help you out. You seem like a good dude kind of thing. But then it becomes, as the time goes on and everything, it becomes like, no, you know, we've lost so much along the way. We've been doing this for months and blah, blah, blah. Like, it becomes everybody's mission, you know, to get this goddamn fleece. I think half of them, more of them, they don't even know what it's going to do. You know what I mean? They just know that this is what we're supposed to do. Um, And different things that happen end up sending characters on different points. At one point, Hercules leaves the story and you find out he's got to go off on his other adventure and stuff like their paths don't intersect anymore. And it's all because of the events all set about because of this fucking mission to go get this golden fleece that they don't even know if it actually exists. It's just rumored throughout the world, you know, that this thing exists and what it'll bring you and all this kind of stuff. So. And like like Alex said there, I think I mean, it's it's considered a MacGuffin. A lot of people like scholars and stuff, because this is an old story going back centuries and centuries. It's considered like one of the oldest MacGuffins around, like can't even call it a movie MacGuffin. It's just like a story MacGuffin, you know, and everything. So I mean, to me, in in a loose trans, not loose translation, but in a loose interpretation, I guess if you want to call a MacGuffin an object that that pushes the story along yes uh-huh. it, it is 100 a mcguffin um i tend to I, for the stories that i like are the mcguffin that just kind of falls into a lap rather than and not to say that this is not a mcguffin for the ones that i enjoy it's a slightly it's different they're variation seeking of it. it out yes is more kind of the thing yeah there's more of a purpose there's, yeah, there's more of a purpose it. to that mcguffin rather which is than, why you feel that the coin from sahara is more a mcguffin than the the ship because the ship is their purpose they were seeking that out but the coin was the mcguffin exactly that fell into their lap yes. fair enough yeah uh, yeah i think it just it's one of those things that falls into slightly different um parameters individual parameters for what a MacGuffin is and everything. And that's the beauty of a conversation like this is that there isn't, there may be right or wrong, but I mean, you like know, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to tend, yeah, Oscar. I mean, that was total wrong. I mean, that was just, there's nothing. And you're a, hey, you redeemed it with the whole laundry bag thing. Cause that was a total MacGuffin. Yeah. So you should just start it with that. <laughs> this is great because uh-huh. I know that he's going to get hit next. <laughs> Like, See, I feel like yeah, I'm, I'm here to take some of the, the pressure album. off of you is what's going on. <laughs> this is fabulous. Yeah, it's wonderful. 
Uh, oh, here's an interesting bit I want to read that he says in the chat. He says, there's a train of thought in the history buff world that the Golden Fleece inspired the legends of the Holy Grail. So it was like oh, interesting. an influential MacGuffin at that. Hmm. So, yeah. That's cool. That's kind of yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, in the broad scope of it, it is an object that pushes a plot along. So, yes, as far as MacGuffin goes, the fleece is... And the object Definitely. is not that important, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, it's important, but it's not It's not something that actively does stuff throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. It's just this thing that gets brought up in the beginning, and then we don't even see the damn thing until the very end, right. briefly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think it, I think it, it works, you know, mm-hmm. it works, but... Yeah, it's interesting. It's fun to debate it anyway. I love the I love the fact that you're like debating what is considered to be like one of the most legendary <laughs> MacGuffins of all time. Matt's like, you know what? You're all fucking wrong. Centuries of you. <laughs> you sons of bitches. But no, I think that but I think your points you made about that were really good. I think that's it's an interesting For your parameters that you follow yeah. right. and that you consider MacGuffin. It doesn't quite fit. It is interesting, but it's also interesting. Like, and and I'm assuming you guys have done, you know, the same thing since we started talking about the MacGuffins. Is looking at different sites and different opinions and what, and there there are myriads of them of what people consider them to be. I mean, for other people, it could be a person because a person is an object that pushes that along. I mean, the the argument could be made for that. They would be wrong, but it could be made. I thought I had them there for a second. All right. Well, we are on our number ones now. Is it time for number one? Yep, it is time for that. And Matthew, you get to talk about your... And you guys can vehemently disagree if you'd like to, because that's the point of a discussion. (laughs) You won't, though, because I'm right. Um, I was going to say, I don't think you're wrong in this one. No, no. So, okay. So, so my number one MacGuffin is the Necronomicon from the Evil Dead trilogy. Um, and, And there's so many funny things about this the, the 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 Sam Raimi Evil Dead trilogy in general. I hate horror movies. I hate gore. I hate blood. I hate jump scares. Like I, 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 I probably like them maybe a little more than you do, but I'm not far behind. No. I'm not. I'm very 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 picky about my horror. Movies. I hate just about everything about horror movies, but I love some Bruce Campbell. Mm-hmm. Okay, fair enough. My introduction to uh, the Evil Dead trilogy was Army of Darkness, which is not horror at all it, 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 it there's a lot of stop yeah. motion there's a lot of the the, the harry house and stuff that's in there right. with some of the fighting in there there's a lot of great one-liners i mean most of the dialogue became what was duke nukem and the video <laughs> right. game dialogue that happened with that um but the idea with the necronomicon so in the original evil dead movie there's these group of teenagers who go out to the middle of the woods to uh stay in this abandoned cabin and as they're out there um they find this book of the dead it's a book that is bound in human flesh and there's a recording that goes with it that talks about how all of the evils encapsulated if you read some of the chapters in this book out loud and because they're stupid teenagers they do because they don't believe it's real and they unleash all of these demons onto the world and the rest of the movie is them fighting these demons off that they brought out because of this specific book. Right. Um, the second movie is pretty much a rehash of the first with some minor with characters. a bunch of crazy shit thrown in. Yeah, but I mean, it's dawn. essentially it's, it's the same movie. Um, you know, and then you've got Army of Darkness, which takes uh, Ash Williams, the main character, and thrusts him into medieval times where he has to fight these demons there. And then it's you know Ash versus Evil Dead, the stars series that you know came after it. That's still right. the the Necronomicon, the Book of the Dead is still that big big part of it right um but one of the reasons that i love this movie so much is like i said when i first discovered army of darkness in high school 
it was there were so many great one-liners and Bruce Campbell was just kind of the man's man but he also gets his ass handed to him <laughs> and taken down a peg or two and it was this great combination of total masculinity with vulnerability in it as well and that bravado that came with it um but uh my, my my youngest son is actually named Ash, and he's named Ash after Ash Williams from oh, the Evil really? Dead movies. Yes, that's <laughs> really? where it came from. I didn't yeah. know that's where you um, got it from. Yeah, that's totally where I got <laughs> that's it from. That's funny. But again, I am not a horror movie fan, but there's right. just something about the way that these movies are done. There's a, They started out to try and be this like horror movie with the first one, and the second one became a spoof of the first one, and then Army of Darkness took it in this completely other direction. Um, but yeah, the Necronomicon, the Book of the Dead, nothing else happens until they read from that. So it all stems, these crazy adventures stem from that one particular book. Yeah, I think that's, I don't, I really can't debate that one. I mean, that seems like that's. Very the, obvious one. Yeah, very obvious, not in a bad way. I agree. I like, uh, real quick as a side note, because getting back to what we were just talking about a few minutes ago, I like in the chat, it says, one movie that has both types of MacGuffins, A Christmas Story. The sought-out MacGuffin is the Daisy Red Rider rifle, mm -hmm. and the fell-into-the-lap MacGuffin would be the lamp. Absolutely. I agree you with know? that. Because yeah. then, yeah, I think that's, I think that's fair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think that's a really good example, like the the Red the, the Red Rider rifle. I mean, that, that drives him. That is what that is. I mean, that MacGuffin. It's a MacGuffin with a point. Right. And I think there's, to me, I, the MacGuffin with the point is cool. The leg lamp falls into his lap, and there's no real point to it other than it's this totally gaudy lamp that the wife the mother <laughs> hates and she accidentally destroys and, and then it ends up yeah them. but it ends up driving the story with uh -huh. things that happen and why and yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah yeah that's so, that's a that's a great suggestion good one there colin good one but as far as the necronomicon yeah i i think that's a good number one man i i like that one i wouldn't i when i saw you wrote that down i was like fuck i didn't even think of that one but that's exactly Right now, have you ever seen the Evil Dead movies? Oh, yeah, a long time ago. <laughs> she seems thrilled <laughs> oh. about it. Aww. she's <laughs> again. It's more of who I saw with, not yeah, the no. movie itself. So. Association, right. negative yeah. association. Well, and, and to me, it was the opposite. Like I was in high school, and like there's a time and a place, and it just kind of fit perfectly mm -hmm. with that discovery of th this other world of things. So yeah, yep, yeah. yeah. I agree. Oh yeah, people are. We'll we'll get to some of these. People are bringing up some good. <laughs> Who's this love face again? God damn it! <laughs> I don't know, lost. but they want to tell us about online strips without. I know. Clothing. I know. He keeps deleting them. Like, get out of here! I keep trying to uh, to get rid of them and everything, but you know. I think Colin reported them earlier. So yeah. Uh, let's see if I can beat it. Do this. Yeah, Make like your number instant. one. Well, maybe we want to know about online strips without clothing. I like online strips without clothing. Yeah. Like what kind of strips? Like comic online strips? strips? Yeah. Is it like Marmaduke naked? <laughs> you know? we just shave them. Yeah. Clifford the big red dong. <laughs> Sorry for those people that are listening. If you're listening to this uh, on on Podbean or something like that, it's because somebody keeps jumping into our live chat with this this bot thing or something. So, but it's 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 entertaining nonetheless. So, um, yeah, that's that's great, man. Yeah, I I'm I'm with you. I'm not a big horror movie fan. Um, the horror that I like, I like, I really like, and there's even some stuff that's that can be pretty grim, you know, pretty gruesome that I do like. But it's it's minimal. 
and there has to be something more to the movie mm-hmm. than that. Like Kevin in the Woods was never a fan. Saw it. Oh my gosh! So never saw it. so mm-hmm. it, there's a lot of Evil Dead in that particular movie, and it's the the thing that's great about Kevin in the Woods. It's a send up of all the other horror movies, and I like when there is a little bit of that self self referential mm-hmm. portion in there, or it doesn't take itself too seriously, or it's humor interjected with that that kind of helps offset that for me but horror for the sake of horror i've never seen friday the 13th movies i've never mm-hmm. seen halloween's i've never oh, seen, see but and um, some of those are actually Nightmare quite on elm streets i've never uh, like i can't it's just see i like thing. i like i like some of those i like some of them some of them are done very well and very good stories and and all that kind of stuff but you know 99 percent of horror that's out there i'm like yeah i could do without it I'm just, yes i'm not i agree man. so at least we're we're in a big red dong, new MacGuffin that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's gonna be our next band. Wow. <laughs> you know. I mean, not to come see you guys. Welcome everybody to Bulldog Brewing. We are Big Red Dong. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Okay. Anyway, so moving on, Megan, what is your number one? All right. Well, I'm a chick, so you know I had to at least throw in one chick flick in here. So I went with 2008's Fool's Gold okay, with uh, oh. Matthew McConaughey and Kate Hudson, Donald Sutherland, Kevin Hart's in this one, too. You like the Kevin Hart movies. Yeah. You really do. Yeah, I really do. <laughs> he's funny. You know? He's funny. So he plays um, Big Bunny. So he's like this big, he's the bad guy in it. Um, but it starts out, Matthew McConaughey and his other helper are diving and, you know, does it you don't know what they're diving for, but they end up somehow sinking their ship while they're underwater and it like blows up all this sand at them and everything. And in that is a piece fragment of a plate. And when they get to the top side, he's like, what is this? And he looks at it, he's like, oh my God, it has the royal family crest on the back of this thing. This is what we're looking for. The, Cause they're looking for a sunken ship okay. with treasure on it. He's like, oh my God, it's here. We finally found it. Well, he's got a, basically big bunny comes along or his henchmen and leave him out for dead. But meanwhile, he's got to hurry up and get back to um, Tess, his wife, Kate Hudson, because she's about to divorce. I mean, it's like if he's not there, then she gets everything and he doesn't want to divorce anyway. Mm-hmm. So he's got to somehow straight in the middle of the ocean and a boat, random boat ends up getting them. But he tries to convince her, I feel like I found it. I found it. I know where the, the boat's at. We can get our treasure finally. She's like, I've wasted 10 years of my life with this bullshit. I'm done with you. You're such a liar. I'm done. Sounds about right. <laughs> so but she's um, taken up being like a stewardess or something on a yacht. It's down in Sutherland's lot. A lot. Yacht. <laughs> and... She, they're like, we got to get out of here because the second that um, my husband, Finn is his name, sees this yacht, he's going to come up here and he's going to try to bamboozle you to, to go do this. Of course, she can't tell him that for some reason. And But she's online looking and she's like, oh, he's so full of shit. And turns out she sees like this picture and it has this little teeny tiny in the background of it, this plate. And it matches the same design that he drew, drew her. She's like, Oh shit, he found it. He really did find it. So the next thing you know, he ends up on the boat, the yacht, of course, and they get together like he it's there. We we can go find it and stuff like that. So they convince Nigel, the rich guy, 
to go on this adventure and find this treasure because of this plate. So the plate is my MacGuffin. Okay. Because it doesn't serve any real purpose other than to, as supposed to prove. So it's and like the, the, the coin. Yeah, the boat's not even there. It's in a different area. That they have to find it. But that's what makes them all go on this adventure is realizing, yes, it is there. It's not just made believe. This so, boat really does. So, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm this sorry. boat really does exist and there is treasure to it. So. <laughs> it's just funny. Just say, it's like all McConaughey MacGuffins just all kind of serve like the same purpose. <laughs> it's like. It's like in this movie, I'm trying to find a boat, and I found this. I got this coin. In this other movie, I'm trying to find a boat, and I got this plate. <laughs> and they're both pretty much the same thing, but don't worry about that. Forget about it. We'll worry about that later. So, no, I mean, it's fine. I can't argue with it because it's pretty much the same the fucking same. thing yeah, as I, mine. I it's was just having a hard plate. time trying to not to make all mine treasure hunts. <laughs> Because you know me, I love my treasure a, hunt. Well, movie. I love a good treasure hunt movie, and that's I think like treasure hunts are all about the MacGuffins. Like, Seriously, that's, yeah, right. it's easy to pick those. I mean, you know, on mine, Last Crusade, like, you know, it's treasure hunt. You know, right. it's national treasure, obviously treasure hunt. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, yeah, yeah, I think it's. I've never seen this movie. I think I hadn't seen it either. <laughs> I would like to see it. <laughs> like to check it's it out. a chick flick, like so, but I, I really I like it. Hudson, it's funny. Yeah. Donald, Donald Sutherland, Sutherland. Right. Kevin Hart's pretty funny, you know, most of yeah. the time. Yeah, it's got um. <laughs> We're just gonna talk. Like that <laughs> yeah, Jesus Christ! All of us yeah. are gonna be talking like pretty that pretty by pretty the end. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, you got any honorable mentions there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but then like my McConaughey turns into like Bob Dylan, and then like suddenly I'm like I'm like Reagan. I'm like, well, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Bonzo, yeah. <laughs> oh man! No, this is a solid choice. I, I I haven't seen this one either, but I mean, the explanation of it uh, did much more justice than, like, say, Oscar. So, I mean, you did well with this. Oh, wow, he's not gonna let that let die, no. is he? No, he's got you know, he's got to have something that we can poke at you about, yeah. you know. Yep. It's going to turn into just a, like a full-on poke brawl by the end. <laughs> Pokey brawl. Pokey brawl. <laughs> <laughs> Megan, I choose you. <laughs> I choose, choose, choose. Oh, God. If you pause, you can see the moment where this heart breaks. <laughs> That's the, be- yeah. the best part is the sound in The Simpsons when Ralph Wiggum's heart breaks and you just, and there's frame by frame and he's like, eh. poor ralph wiggum he bent his wookie he bent his all right (laughs) tangents here no that sounds yeah and now i want to see this movie because again it it's it's in that same vein of a sahara type movie in a way and everything so see and to me when it's up my alley um outside of the plot of the movie when i had first heard about this i thought it was like the regular like mcconaughey's like what's the one with sarah jessica parker oh failure to launch or something yeah like that. it seemed mm-hmm. like it was one of those like romantic i didn't know that there was any aspect of like treasure hunt heist kind of thing to it and now i'm i'm much more intrigued by it right that's cool so the, i think great mcguffin but you've also given me another film that i want to check out in my free time so i think yeah i bet win-win. you and carrie and i like this before we move on, somebody brought up in the chat, uh, I think Colin brought up in the chat, said, uh, I learned today what a MacGuffin is. Would the Iron Throne in Game of Thrones be considered a MacGuffin? 
in the broad definition, it is an object that pushes the plot along. People are fighting and doing something with the purpose of attaining Wanting to, that. Yeah. So I mean, it is it's motivating them to do something. So in the in the broad scope, I would say in the same way the sure. Golden Fleece yeah. is a MacGuffin. I, I, it kind yeah. of fits into that category. Fair enough. I think I yeah. I can I can agree with that at the very least that I think it's worthy of discussion. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know enough about Game of Thrones to get into it. Unfortunately, I only ever saw the first two seasons and then I stopped. That's really where the it's after that it. Yeah, I know there was the red wedding in the third mm-hmm. season and all that. I know enough about I know about it, but I never really thoroughly read it and and I didn't watch all the seasons. And I mean, then because I heard the way you know, obviously he who sits on the throne rules at all. So. If, if you're going to apply that same logic for the fleece of Jason and the Argonauts, if he sure. has it, rules yeah, it. Yeah, you know, that makes sense. The, the one ring. I mean, it is, yes. It's it's a motivational object to push a plot along. So, yes, I will I will reluctantly say that the Iron Throne is a MacGuffin. Okay, fair enough. All right, so then uh, with just one left. You. Right? Just mine. All right. So my number one, this was the one that um, it didn't come to me immediately, but pretty when it did, I said, yep. That's it. Not only did I know it was being included, but I knew that it was my number one choice. It's a movie that, again, I realize a lot of people out there probably may not have seen because it's it's a little bit of a sleeper uh, film. And Literally. <laughs> why? Oh, yeah, because he goes, yeah, that's <laughs> Megan with the puns as usual. Always count on you for that. Um, it's a movie from 1980 that stars Christopher Reeve and Jane Seymour, and it is called Somewhere in Time. Ooh. Have you seen this movie? been a long time yeah about as long so, as somewhere in time in somewhere in time yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh this is one of my favorite movies of all time easily i i don't remember where i ranked it when we did our favorite movies of all time it was thing. up there it but was up it was high. it was way up there it was probably in my top five um i'm a big christopher reeve fan i'm a big jane seymour fan i'm a big time, time travel. travel fan i love time travel stuff and i love this movie because it's a different, you know, somebody didn't build a contraption. It's not something you put on your wrist or some machine you get into. It's all about the idea of being able to time travel by, like, self-hypnosis. And actually, it's almost like astral traveling in a sense when you think about it that way. But what the MacGuffin is in this movie is, and I'll expl- I will I can start it out at the beginning of the movie. The movie starts out in 1974. Christopher Reeve is a college student, and he's an aspiring playwright. And he puts on his first uh, play at a college up in Michigan called Too Much Spring, I think it was supposed to be called. And um, it's not important. I've just seen this movie like 5,000 times. Um, but anyway, when he's at this this premiere of this, this uh, play and everything, he's talking to his friends and everything. And he says, I just talked to an agent who says I th- they think that my, my play might be ready for like Broadway, might be able to go out there and... And they're all congratulating him. And all of a sudden, a little old lady walks up to him that he's never seen before. And she hands him a pocket watch, an old tiny pocket watch with a chain and everything. And she hands it to him and says, come back to me. And then she just walks away. And everybody's going, who the hell was that? And then he goes, I've never seen her before in my life. And then he grabs, he opens up this watch. And wow, this is a really cool watch. It's, you know, he gets a feeling that there's there's something odd and special about this, but whatever so now you fast forward six years he's uh an accomplished playwright 
and everything. He's very successful. Now he lives in like he lives like on the Gold Coast in Chicago. He lives up there, you know, on Lakeshore Drive and everything. And he's going through a tough time in his life. He's got writer's block. He and his girlfriend uh, just broke up. And he uh, just kind of on a whim decides, I need, to get, I need to get out of here. He jumps in a car. He drives a few hours or so up to Michigan, just kind of aimlessly driving, sort of seeking himself. And he comes across uh, the Grand Hotel. And just says, oh, okay, this seems nice. I'll stop here. He goes to the Grand Hotel. And there's weird, at first, there's weird little coincidental things that start happening. He hasn't been up there since he put on that play back when he was in school, when the little old lady gave him the watch. And these like weird coincidental things start happening. He runs into the bellhop, this kindly old bellhop guy. And, you know, he's talking to the bellhop and says, you know, see you around, Arthur. And the Arthur, the bellhop's going, do, do I know you? I feel like I know you. And Chris is going, I've never met you before. All these little things start happening. And then he ends up going into, I'm trying to make this as brief as I can. He ends up going into the hotel and he's still kind of restless and down and, you know, dealing with this breakup and all this. And he goes into a little like room of memories thing that this hotel has because the hotel's been there for a hundred years. And he sees a portrait, an old time photo on the wall of Jane Seymour's character. And inexplicably, he doesn't know who she is doesn't know when that picture was even taken but he just becomes completely infatuated with this starts doing a bunch of research starts asking around goes goes to the library starts spending hours looking through stuff to find out who it is he comes to find out it's elise mckenna who was a uh, stage actress back in the early 1900s which at first he's like oh fuck okay she's long gone you know and everything but he's still obsessed with it. Like he's got to know more about her. And then he comes across a photo of her in a magazine or something that was the last photo ever taken and comes to find out it's the old lady that gave him the watch. And he's now he's like, what the fuck? Like, that's too weird of a coincidence. He goes to her estate, her old friend that's like in control of her like house and her estate and her things comes to find out like, the first the lady he shows the lady he's got the watch and she's like what are you doing with that watch it went missing the night she died he's like oh my god she died the night that i saw her like that's even more weird and she's saying that watch meant everything to her like she i don't know why she would have given that to you and then he's as he's like finding out more stuff he comes to find out that her fav the record she was listening to when she died is his favorite piece of music of all time by rachmaninoff that there's no way she would have known that or vice versa. And he's just like, this isn't making sense. And then he comes to find out that she was obsessed with reading books about time travel. So then he's like, wait a minute, wait, wait, what's, what's going on with this? And he gets this idea. He goes to meet the professor that wrote this one book and asks him if time travel is possible. And the professor explains to him, well, I think it is. You can, you can hypnotize your mind. I did this once in a hotel in, in Italy that was 500 years old, and I was able to convince myself that I was there, that I was back 500 years prior and everything, and I believe that I was there, like, but it was exhausting. Like, when I di after I did it, it, it almost killed me because it was so physically exhausting on my body and my brain and everything. I almost didn't survive it. Uh-oh, Lovelace is back. <laughs> Hang on, I'm going to get rid of Lovelace here. 
Hi, user. So, so Carrie Ann thinks this is a great movie. And well, she's got good taste. Well, Me and Carrie her have like similar I said, taste. It's been a long, long time since I've seen this. So I think Carrie Ann, we should we should watch this um, when you get the chance. So we're about like your so your synopsis. We're about so seventeen I'm minutes into with, the. Yeah, the yeah, I know, I know. So the point. Well, it's important that I explain this stuff. So. <laughs> So anyway, the long and short of it is he goes and does a little investigating, goes back to this hotel where he's at and everything, and starts getting it in his head like, wait a minute, maybe I knew her. I had to have known her somehow. Like, was I there? Did I do that? Like, did I make this happen? And he goes with Arthur, the old bellhop guy's help, goes and digs out in the attic of the hotel and everything, pulls out old registry books and starts looking through them. To find out when Elise was at the hotel there and everything with that picture and then looks through and he finds his fucking name in the book and he's like, holy shit, I actually did it. So that prompts him to then try to do it. I mean, no surprise, you know, just from looking at the cover of the book, obviously he makes he goes back in time. He does end up doing it. He meets her. I'm not going to tell you or anybody else what happens from there on, but the whole thing is this is all spurned on. This all happens because of this watch. And the interesting thing about it, too, is the watch is also a paradox. Because she, in 1974, gave him the watch. When he goes back in time, he gives her the watch. So then she would, in the future, give him the watch again. Where did the watch come from? It's a paradox. You just never even find out where the watch came Who from. Who had the watch first? And there was no significance to this watch. So it's not like it was, it, you know, this watch belonged to somebody before or, or that she bought it for him when he went back. In no, it just existed. And, it, and, and nothing would have happened in this movie, even getting to the very end. Nothing would have happened in this movie if it wasn't for that watch that we don't even know where it came from, why it exists. It only exists. The only reason that watch literally exists in the universe was to bring them together because you don't even know an origin of where it came from. It's never explained. They don't even, even the characters in the movie cannot explain where this watch came from. It's only existence was to bring these two people together. So to me, that was like the ultimate MacGuffin. Do you agree? I agree. Okay. One hundred without question. I think mm -hmm. that I, I think first of all, that it, it absolutely drives the movie. Um, right. I, you know, I love the idea of like this six-year gap of it just kind of gets lost and then it kind of comes back out. Right. But but there's that aspect to it. I also love the idea again with my idea of what a MacGuffin is. It's just something that dropped into your lap and then you know takes you someplace. The fact that there is no real significance to the watch, like where it came from. That to me adds to the awesomeness of what a, a MacGuffin should be. So right. yeah, so right. without without that's question, why I, I that's why that. I picked it. I loved the paradoxical nature of this MacGuffin that that it just it quite literally drops into existence in these people's lives without them even knowing. Like there is no explanation of how this thing even came into existence. It gets stuck in a paradoxical time loop because we no idea where it originated from. Both of these people got it from each other at different points in time and just gave it back to each other. I And yeah, and there's nothing about the there's there's nothing special about the watch. It doesn't have a special inscription on it. It doesn't do a special thing. There's not even a thing where at some point it tells a particular time that 
No. It's not engraved. It doesn't have their photo inside of it. It's just a standard watch. It's just a fucking watch that that just causes this story to happen and causes these two people that literally live completely out of almost 100 years from one another, or it's 68 years or whatever it is at the time, to come together. And I just favor it. I just, I'm like, that's so fucking cool. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, this movie is great because it's got... The soundtrack is utterly amazing. It's got rock mine and off. Oh yeah, my mom's my mom joined just in time, right? She loves. <laughs> I know she's well. The, she and my dad are the reason I saw this movie because they got it. We saw it on uh, Spectrum TV back in 1981 or whatever it was. Yeah, it was like right. At, it was one of those movies. This movie did not do well at all. This movie bombed when it came out, and it, there was a lot of reasons for it. It wasn't even because it was a bad movie. It was just. It was right after Superman. People wanted Christopher Reeve to be Superman. They didn't want him to be this this emotional, romantic playwright guy, you know? The movie's kind of slow. All the music in it, it's all classical music. It's not, you know, it wasn't hip. Um, it also came out at a time when uh, Hollywood was, there was a big strike that went on in Hollywood at the exact time this movie was coming out. So they couldn't promote it. Mm. The actors weren't allowed to go on like Carson and all that and promote it because that would have been going against breaking the strike and all this stuff. So the movie faded and that's why it wound up on Spectrum TV and HBO, old HBO back in the, it wound up like just a few months later, which was unheard of at the time. It used to take a long time for things to turn up on video and stuff back then, not like now. Um, We saw it on Spectrum like in late 1980, early 1981 and yeah. It just became a favorite movie because I'm 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 I was interested in it because it had fucking Superman in it. You know, I was seven years <laughs> old and I was like, "Oh, it's got Superman in it. Okay, I'll watch it." And then I watch it. and I was like, "This isn't Superman. <laughs> this, is, this is not. This is definitely not Superman." But what got me was the time travel aspect of it. Always loved time travel. As I got older, I appreciated the romantic aspect of it and the you know that whole story because I like good romances. And uh, kind of fatalistic romance stuff I, I tend to fall for sometimes. And, and the soundtrack. I, I listen to I listen to the soundtrack for Somewhere in Time every single week. I, I can't remember the last week in the last several years that I haven't listened to that soundtrack. It's on my... If I pu- you know, at the end of the year when you get the thing from Spotify that's yeah. like your top played <laughs> tracks. If I pulled that up for you right now, it's going to all be like the Somewhere in Time soundtrack... Um, Dave Brubeck Quartet and Nora Jones. <laughs> that's, that's mostly what I listen to on like as I just because that's what I put on when I sleep. That's what I put on when I'm working and I need to relax. I put this shit on in the background. I can't sit there and listen to fucking Deicide, you know what I mean? And, <laughs> and obituary and stuff when I'm doing all that kind of stuff. This is what I listen to. That's yeah. So anyway, that's why it had to be my number one. Nice. I I I I, I like I said, I haven't seen it in years and I, I very vaguely remember any of the plot at all and the fact that good i'd like you to watch it again then because the the ending oh yeah yeah the ending (laughs) yeah so i'm not going to tell you anything about it how it ends you're just like oh like yeah it's 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 great so cool do you guys have any um honorable mentions you'd like to bring up and i mean there's tons that we can there's a gazillion yeah start on it (laughs) anything nothing you know, like again, there's there's so much stuff out there that like you know, as I was, 
as I was looking through some of the lists and things like that, that I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah I, I totally see that. But like, I hadn't thought about it as a MacGuffin, like in that sense, like, you know, the dude's rug in the Big Lebowski. Right. Yeah. There's I a mean, bunch of obvious ones. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but, but like, once you're like, oh, yeah, now that I'm looking for it, that I see that there, right. you know. Right. Um, but like, any particular favorites, like, of, of movies? You know, there's the Star Wars. I mean, there's the plans sure. for the Death Star. I mean, but that was, you know, yeah. because it's Star Wars. I mean, it's. Yeah. And even that, it's hard to think it, of MacGuffins in yeah. Star Wars because everything in Star Wars, every detail in Star Wars is so iconic now that it's hard to look at anything as just being MacGuffin y. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, inconsequential. I the one that people laugh at. They'll be like, "Oh God, here we go. Here's True Larry, right here." So one of the things that was I I almost put in my <laughs> top five, and then I was I thought better of it, but it's kind of a MacGuffin. Is the uh, the talisman from Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park? <laughs> <laughs> the, the the talisman that gives oh. Kiss their superpowers, man, and Kiss Meets the fucking Phantom. Yeah. Like, I don't know if it said anybody, but it set me on my path. <laughs> Let me tell you, when I was five years old, October 28th, 1978, NBC, seven o'clock movie of the night, movie of the week, those talisman. Whew. But no, seriously, I yeah. thought that was kind of a thing because again, you don't really, yeah, they just sort of fall into it and you're like, okay, now there's talisman. Like yeah. you come to find out that like, well, that's why Kiss is more than just a rock band and it becomes this whole thing. And then the, the guy who's the Phantom, uh, Abner Devereaux wants to get his hands on it. It becomes this whole thing and you never even get an explanation of where the fuck those things came from. I get, you know, it's probably more plot devicey than than MacGuffin, but, yeah. you know, any excuse, any excuse I get to mention Kiss Meets a Phantom. And that's part. fair. Well, and going back to, you know, for me, what started this whole conversation was the, the movie Red Notice. Um, mm-hmm. I love that at one point, like, again, the, the basic plot of the movie is that there is an art heist going on and they're looking for these three specific eggs that are out there somewhere. And they finally come across the the area where the third one is located. And it's The Rock and it's Ryan Reynolds. And it's Ryan Reynolds just being Ryan Reynolds, yeah. mm-hmm. what he does. Um, but at one point, The Rock's like, well, what are we even looking for in here? And Ryan Reynolds is like, just look for a box Mark McGuffin. And it was like the call out of right. that kind of breaking that fourth wall of what it is, <laughs> which which Ryan is the king of, yeah, absolute <laughs> king of. Um, but but I, that's what I loved about like that movie particularly. And and once I was thinking about that, there are a couple other movies that do that that breaking of the fourth wall that's self referential. Right. And I, and I and I had them listed, and now I've completely forgotten <laughs> what they were. Um, so I'll probably add them in at, at a later point. But to me, I think that's what I also liked about it too is that. You know, there are certain movies that are out there that like they just acknowledge, yes, this is this is a, a this is put here just to move the plot along. There's no right. real purpose other than the fact we need to get from here to here. And this is the object that's going to do it. Well, I like that we're getting, you know, part of why we wanted to do this uh, as a live stream as as opposed to a pre-record uh, episode is we love getting the feedback in real time from you guys. There's a few people bringing up stuff. Joe Juarez brings up about how about how about R2-D2 because. Now, the thing about that is George Lucas himself stated that he believes and he intentionally made R2-D2 to be the MacGuffin. Like he identified it and it's his movie and his character as being the MacGuffin. And it's weird because I wouldn't have thought of that. I get, But it makes sense because R2-D2 is kind of the MacGuffin of the entire Star Series. Wars universe. Yeah. yeah. Because he, he goes... He's the only character, I think, that's in everything. Mm-hmm. He's in the prequels. He's in the main movies. He's in the sequels. He's in, he's in Boba Fett Book, and Book Mando. Of Boba yeah. Fett. yeah, he's in all the... He is the one thing that kind of ties along, and he always somehow helps to drive it along. 
it's okay, you know, it's yeah. kind of veiled, but I wouldn't have thought of that. You know, mm-hmm. to me, I would have been like, oh, no, R2-D2, he's too major of a character and blah, 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 but yeah. well, so that's it, it, interesting. Joe had just asked, you know, what about the rhetorical question from uh, Batman Begins of why do we fall? And to me, that's that's not that MacGuffin. It's the, it's the, the Oscar question of, like, it's a question that's posed to you right. that then there's a thought process that goes with that. And to me, I feel like it needs to be a physical object of some kind. Yeah, animal, vegetable, or mineral. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, baby from Willow. God, I haven't seen Willow since I've been a kid. Yeah, yeah. I but but fair enough. And that gets into the whole thing where again, there's some people out there who think that a MacGuffin can be a a, a person. It can mm-hmm. be a character, and they do just happen across a baby. Yeah, that baby does just, just but cut, but I, down the but again, I feel like the baby is so well explained about you know who Alora Dannon is and everything. That's her name. <laughs> Alora Dannon. If I hear fucking Willow say that one more goddamn time. Oh, <laughs> fucking Willow. Anyway, um, but I feel like Alora Dannon is so well explained as to what she is, what her purpose is, what she's going to be. What to, I don't know. I don't feel like she's quite nebulous enough to be a true MacGuffin, but kind of. Yeah. Kind of McGuffy. Carrie it's McGuffish. Yeah. Carrie had just mentioned uh, Ch- the Chester Copperpot article from Goonies when right. up in the attic. I mean, that's 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 a quintessential MacGuffin. Everything happens because of that article. And the, the map. And mm-hmm. yeah, because, and finding that map. Yeah. yeah Chester Copperpots. You know, even. It's uh, kind of like the Secret yeah. Lies with Charlotte. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Fair. That's, that's yeah. exactly that whole thing. Um, to me, most recently in The Mandalorian, I think the Darksaber is a fantastic MacGuffin. Yeah. That pushes things into where the next season is going to go. And even, you know, in the book of Boba Fett, it popped up a little bit in there too. Right. That there's a lot of that motivation that comes from that. So I'm, and I know we had talked about at some point, you know, wanting to discuss a little bit more about book of Boba Fett and things like that. So I'm, I'm curious to kind of talk to you guys more about the idea of the dark saber and where that goes. Well, what a nice segue that is, Matthew, because <laughs> while we are done with the uh, top five movie MacGuffins and we appreciate everybody that's watched this and everybody that watched it with us live and took part in the in the whole uh, conversation here. Uh, that's the next thing we've got coming out is that the three of us are going to do, we didn't do an episode by episode one. It was just too hard to do, but we're going to do a whole book of Boba Fett, uh, series one, like recap our thoughts on it, pros and cons of it and stuff. I have a feeling we're going to go around about some of it a little bit. Mm -hmm. I already can tell. I think there's some differing opinions on this show between us, but, um, yeah, we're, so if you all are interested in hearing us talk about, Book of Boba Fett. Uh, that's going to be coming up soon, probably next week. I think is good, is around. Yeah, window. give everybody time to watch the last episode. Right. Yeah, because it's going to be spoilery. Oh yeah. So yes. you know we won't want people to watch it if they haven't seen all the Book of Boba Fett episodes yet. But that is going to be the next thing. Uh, another Star Wars MacGuffin, Anakin's lightsaber. Yeah, it's it, that. There. That's what we were saying. There's so many things in Star Wars that could be MacGuffins. I mean, mm-hmm. gosh, you could make a fucking list of them um that r2 one is really cool i need to think about that one a little bit because like i said i read about lucas calling it a MacGuffin, and i I, at first i went what but you know there's something to be said for that Mm -hmm. possibly Mm -hmm. but yeah we had a we had a really good time this was fun yeah we did not keep it to an hour 
That's okay. No. There's a lot to discuss, and I, I think we covered it all really, really well. Yeah, there's too much to discuss to uh, keep it to an hour. But you know, the beauty of two and this... a half is close enough, right? <laughs> two, <laughs> we like, we two like to round up to the nearest two and a quarter. Two and a half. Yeah, two and a quarter <laughs> is going to be what it is. Um, but the beauty of it is that you can rewatch this or re-listen to it, and you can always just pause it and take it in little doses if you want to. You know. <laughs> Um, it's just, it's tough on the people that sat through this whole thing live <laughs> that are like, yeah. come on guys, it's 1030 <laughs> at night now. But anyway, cool. I, I definitely, I want to thank the Lovelace XYZ. I mean, I think the, the spam <laughs> that you brought the to whole... this conversation, it was, it was through the roof. So spam give yourself bot. a big, you know why the spam bot kept coming back in there? Cause it was totally pissed about your fucking bagging on Oscar. Oscar. Oh, I think it was just pissed about Oscar. Yeah. <laughs> Either way. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> Uh, lovely six way X Y Oscar, yeah. So, anyway, um, thanks everybody. It's been a pleasure, and uh, we will be back very soon. So, see y'all.